0: Welcome. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays with the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening. To Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one.
1: Hello there my friends and welcome to the 100th episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon. I'm releasing this on both the feed of Star Wars Comics in Canon, which obviously is on the feed of Comics in Motion, as well as the feed of Genuine Chit Chat, because it is a big milestone. I've been doing Star Wars Comics in Canon for over two years and I've been doing Genuine Chit Chat for nearly five, so I just want to say thank you to everyone who supported the show and thank you to the lovely people who have been submitting listener questions. So in this nearly three hour long conversation, myself and Ben of Star Wars Time, Timeline, tackle your Star Wars questions. We try and avoid spoilers where we can, so we don't really spoil the Clone Wars or Rebels or anything like that. I do talk about Kenobi right near the end. There is a bit of warning and things, so if you haven't seen the Kenobi show, when you get to that point, you have ample warning to skip ahead or just stop or whatever. But aside from that, really, it's just bits and pieces of mine and Ben's opinions on things. Some of it's legends, some is canon. There's our favorite ships, characters, all kinds of things, just spanning the whole Star Wars galaxy. And both myself and Ben had so much fun doing this there is also going to be a youtube version of this uploaded full video and everything but because it's nearly three hours it takes a long time for my laptop to be able to export the file so it should be released uh, about a day or so after this is released on the normal audio feed. So if you want to check out the video version, then you shouldn't have to wait too long. But please go over and subscribe to Genuine Chit Chat over there because there's whole playlists there and you can listen to all the conversations I've had to do with Star Wars, with podcasters, friends, or even content creators themselves like Claudia Gray or Kevin Scott, people who've been in Star Wars like Dominic Pace, loads of Star Wars centric content. And you can also see the playlists for Star Wars comics and canon. I've got playlists for Darth Vader, for Doctor Aphra, for Age of and Bio information if you're to want to have a deep dive on certain characters all kinds of things so please go and subscribe to genuine Chit Chat. a link will be in the description and also in this description there's going to be links to a lot of the things myself and ben spoke about some of my guest appearances on his show both of our appearances on era of geek loads of different things you know always check out those show notes it is incredibly important to do so especially on this episode I will also add an outro to the end of this just to confirm what's coming up and a few other bits and pieces and there's a link in the show notes which is bit.ly slash tomhanks1 that'll take you to my Patreon specifically to one of my free Patreon episodes that anyone can listen to and uh, if you enjoyed this whole Star Wars conversation please consider checking out my Patreon page you can support the show and you can also get an extra episode at least once a week of my Afterthought show myself and Megan record fun things we recently watched Thor Love and Thunder so a spoiler free review of that is going to be released on on I think Sunday, probably, and we've also got a few other things going. We recently watched two more Tom Hanks films for our Tom Hanks watch. We've got loads of things going on over there, and I release book reviews that I don't release anywhere else. Some Canon, some Star Wars Legends, lots of different things. But uh thank you so much for listening, as always. I appreciate each and every one of you. And I give you the hundredth episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And... Here we are for the 100th episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon. It's a special Q&A episode, and who else could I do it with than Ben of Star Wars Timeline, who has so kindly let me be on his show, I think, seven or eight times. Oh, doing... So, the people on YouTube, you need to go check this video out on YouTube. If you're listening on the one of the podcasting apps and things, go to YouTube, because A, Ben was doing uh, the Live Long and Prosper symbol from Star Trek, which is very funny, but also he's got a very shiny tan, and... Uh, <laughs> (laughs) anyone else who's seen him in any of his videos he's normally quite pasty uh pasty russian bloke and uh now he's glowing golden he's like a yellow lightsaber from the high republic or raised depending on where you sit on the fence with that and your top matches it so uh hello good sir thank you so much for joining me uh especially with your (laughs) potentially minor sunstroke
0: That's honestly what it feels like, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think I need a little bit of a diversion. It honestly feels quite special being here to for your anniversary sort of episode. Um, I love the way that you podcast, man. I love the way that you bring your community side of Star Wars together and how we all chat about this. Uh, I can't wait to get into the questions, just talk about this stuff. But yeah, guys, 4th of July is your perfect opportunity to go to Jersey Shore, and practice your Anakin on Mustafar because now I know exactly first-hand experience what this guy was feeling. And when, it, when uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi's line delivery is like, you have done that yourself, well, that, that- arrogance and smugness guys i feel it right now in this podcast i'm basically going to channel my inner anakin as we get to these questions and please do forgive me i'll try not to get pissed off or murder younglings i do something drastic okay we're just going to have a fun conversation here (laughs) we're going to do fun we're going to
1: fun anakin clone wars anakin excluding all all the war crimes and stuff that's the that's the that's toe in the line oh anakin in brotherhood in uh, mike chen's book He's, he's that's a that's very that's just as where anakin starts to mature before he Goes all, you know, war cry um right. But we've got 20 questions uh, from a variety of people, lovely people over Twitter and if you're on Discord and a variety of places, some from the Comics Emotion Extended family, some that you've been acquainted with yourself, good sir, uh, and some others that other people may not be aware of. So we're just going to get straight into it. I haven't, I should have actually put these in an order, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so do with that as you will i'll probably flip back and forth between them um but we've got some fun questions to do so i will say before we start thank you obviously ben for coming on the show but also thank you so much for everyone uh tuning into stars comics and canon and although this is the 100th episode technically um it's kind of like star wars in a lot of ways where the the ninth episode of star wars is actually the 11th Uh, or if you're going to be really picky, the 12th, because obviously there are... Mm -hmm. The Clone Wars movie is... um, But then there's Solo and Rogue One. So you do have movies in between, but they're not the air quotes episodes. That's kind of what this is like, because whenever I release the book reviews, uh, apart from my first book review, uh, Master and Apprentice, and then when I release like... um, Special episodes. I don't call them episode one, two, three, blah, blah. And I actually I prolonged this one by putting two book reviews out, <laughs> so that we'd be able to talk this week. So I made sure I was like, right, well, I need to make sure I've try and wrap up the High Republic before episode one hundred, which I've done everything for apart from Midnight Horizon book review because uh, I've not read that yet. Uh, and then I was like, quite, I've got to put in another book review and another book review because they don't count as episodes. I almost did an episode ninety nine point five, but I was like, no, that's kind of that's kind of cheating. Uh, but we are here with a hundredth episode. Technically, it's up to 112 or something, but still. Uh, so the questions, the questions. Let's start with Spider Dan and the Secret Boars. So that's the name of his podcast. You can find him on Twitter, at Dan underscore Bores. He I asks... Yeah, he's... an I love Dan. Dan's great. Uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, podcasts yeah. together, including the Disney discussions. And he was on... I think he, he was on the Book of Boba Fett discussion show, and then he was on the Attention-Seeking Geeks uh, Kenobi show, and because he, mm-hmm. he promised to go on that. And now he said to me that he has to be on the Andor show that I end up doing probably every other week or so. But I'll figure that out. Near other time. It's only currently July. That's in August. I have to worry about that for another six weeks. Um But Spider-Dan, he asks, which minor background character in Star Wars canon or Legends has the most fascinating or exciting backstory? Well... I was going... Minor character is... It's hard because I would have originally actually said Cobb Vanth before... Um, I want to say in this thing, we're going to spoil Mando series one and two. Or spoil... I mean, everyone knows what happens in it by now. We may talk about Book of Boba Fett, um, but we'll tr- we won't do Kenobi spoilers, I don't think, unless it specifically comes up. Um, but I've I've already promised someone like we won't do uh, Rebels uh, spoilers because someone who's um, got a question later on, I'll shout them out when we get to it, is in the midst of watching Rebels. I'm like, oh, it's the best Star Wars content out there apart from the original six movies and it's better than <laughs> of Menace and stuck of the Clones but quite a lot. So I want to make sure we don't spoil that for lovely folks listening. Um, but I was going to say Cobb Vanth because in the Aftermath trilogy he's the one who discovers, he, he's the one who buys Boba Fett's armor from the Jawas and then he uses it. It's, it's not dissimilar to how it is in, um, in the Mandalorian actually. So mm-hmm. I, I he would have been mine. Um, but I think my favorite he said about that actually exciting backstory. I'll give this to you while I think about the backstories because that's that's a bit of a, a left turn. Who's your favorite
0: minor character who's got a cool backstory? Sure. At first while you were after you asked the question and you were answering it, I started like sort of mentally scratching my head, like, ooh, there's too many, especially mm-hmm. if we delve into legends and the expanded universe, the books, there's just so many. But I'm going to go with a little bit of an arth- orthodox uh, answer. I'm going to pick the broomstick boy from at the end of The Last Jedi. Oh, and there's a very specific reason for that. You know, it's oftentimes you see film props or extras being converted into full-fledged characters, as was the case with Quinlan Vos. Obviously, right? Everybody mm-hmm. knows if you go back and re-watch The Phantom Menace and you pause it very quickly as a uh, young Anakin Skywalker is passing by, has an exchange of words with uh, 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 Sebulba, he, Quinlan Vos is sitting in the background. He's obviously not a character by that point, but he becomes a character. But what I really enjoyed with the boy at the end of The Last Jedi, unlike The Force Awakens, opening line which was like this will begin to make things right and then the movie begins and all of that script on um, vast majority of it went into kind of like repeating the same beats that are familiar and that we know whereas the end of the last Jedi and that specific broomstick boy character he to me personally once again it's a very subjective matter but Ryan Johnson expressed his keen understanding and of the heart and soul of this franchise and it's without going to say that you know the last Jedi is an immaculate, perfect. It's far from it. It's a film that I enjoy a lot. It's a good film, but that particular element, that character, showing me back, mirroring my childhood, where I was dreaming of becoming a Jedi, watching Luke Skywalker's adventure, and you're looking at this boy, and the same magic is repeated again. And I don't think it was a play of nostalgia. I think it was a very good cinematic accent at the end that was very deliberate if i can recall the ending to the movie inception which is one of my all-time favorite moments in cinema where where you spin that momentum and mentally I'm, i'm looking at myself i'm watching the crowd in theater i'm saying please stop it right here please don't don't show us where whether it falls or not and he cuts it off. Same with Broomstick Boy. boy. It's a de- very deliberate and conscious way of telling us that anybody could be a Jedi. Anybody can be in tune with the Force. Mm-hmm. That's a very good answer, and in all honesty, I mean, I'm wearing. I'll show sure people listening because I don't normally
1: stand up when I'm a. All listeners will get to see how I mean, my new area. I've got a little genuine chit chat logo. It's ah, it's there. There you go. I was trying to look in the camera and do it, but I've unmirrored it so people can see my very lovely little plaque there. I'm going to have more stuff around me, but I'm wearing my um my last Jedi top with Porgs on nice. it. Nice. I love Porgs. I I don't care what people say about them. They're just a a Disney thing to try and make uh, toys or sell things. Disney make money off everything, so literally the reason they made Star Wars is to make money. So yes, Porgs are created to make money. But I don't care. They're amazing and adorable and I wish I had a Porg, because they're amazing. Um, Anyway, uh, that's not my favourite minor character. Now this one is kind of a minor character, but it's a bit of a weird one, which is Maz Kanata. Um, Mm -hmm. So she is obviously in The Force Awakens. Uh, She's Central ish. She's like a supporting role, I'd say. Uh, and then in Last Jedi, she's in a f- like a one holog- hologram bit. Uh, and then in Rise of Skog, she's in it a bit. But she's showing up in the High Republic. Like people may not know that Maz Kanata, she's over a thousand years old. So yeah. she's even older than Yoda. And Yoda is previously thought to be the oldest character in Star Wars, in the canon at least, who's like a main ish character who's not, you know, Abaloth or ignoring the the kind of gods of Mortis because that's a bit of a right. ambiguous thing. So with. Maz Kanata, we don't know that much about her backstory, but she's known as a space pirate, and she's over a thousand years old. She's literally lived through the Sith Wars, and the golden era of the Jedi. She's in the High Republic comics, and every time she pops up, I'm like, yes! Give me a show, which is Maz Kanata narrating it. That's all I I would kill for that. I mean, you get the Forces of Destiny uh, micro-series cartoons that are made for, like, really young kids, and I've watched quite a lot of them, but they're mostly like three minutes long, and they don't really amount to anything, and she kind of half narrate some of those and she's in a few of them but mas she's really interesting she understands the force she's force sensitive but she doesn't use the force necessarily um but she because she's so old she's got that castle on takodana and in one of the high in the high republic books uh, comics rather the high republic adventures comics by daniel jose older there's a story arc that takes place one of the story arcs takes place concurrently on uh, Takodana. You get to see a Jedi Temple that used to be there and things, and you get Maz interacting with an, uh, I think it's a Gaiozo Jedi um, called Sav Maligan, and they somewhat kind of raise a um, little creature called Quart, who is actually an Aloxian, I think the species is, and he's a really, really cool character. And I just love Maz's whole outlook. Like, she's old, and she's got the kind of wiseness of Yoda in a way, but she's not so reserved, and one of my favourite lines in The Force Awakens, one of my favourite moments is when uh, Han or Han, I think it's meant to be Han, but I'm going to say Han like Lando does. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of the things in Star Wars Comics in canon. I'm always apologising for how I say Han or Han every episode I talk about. Them, I'm like, sorry guys, I know it's meant to be Han, but I can't help but say Han. Because, um, you know, Han, Han, whatever. Um, but in the line where he meets, he goes up to her when he's with Ray and Finn and she's like, um, <laughs> where's my boyfriend? And he's like, oh, Chewie's, like fixing the ship and she's like, I like that Wookiee. <laughs> I, like old- I love that bit. It literally kills me. And I'm just thinking like Maz Kanata is this like thousand year old really wise woman is in love with this like 250 by that point? How old is it? He's 180 I think in Solo which mm-hmm. makes him 190 by the original trilogy. So he's about 220, 230-ish around the time of The Force Awakens. So she- he's like a quarter of her age but he's still older than the vast majority of people alive. And I just she's got so much character to her and i just want more of her and this podcast may not age well because in 10 20 years when they eventually flush her character out then maybe her backstory <laughs> will suck. but at the moment 2022 july her backstory as far as i've seen of it you get little sprinklings of it it's really really cool uh, i love masconata and the broom boy brilliant uh one yeah. that's a really cool one um so let's move on to the next question um so <clears throat> So, Mr. Tony Farina. Uh, Now, people may know him on the Comics and Motion Network as doing Indie Comics Spotlight, as well as Season's Greetings. He's also a pop gorilla. He's been on Genuine Chat Chat several times. He's on the 30th episode of uh, Star Wars Comics in Canon. We spoke about Dr. Aphra quite a lot. Um, But Tony is not on social media anymore. He just decided to take a break from it, which I completely understand. Um, But he does have a website and things, fun times. Um, But he's got three questions for us. Um, So maybe I'll choose one or two and dip back who? We'll see. Uh, but his first question is, excluding the Millennium Falcon, what is your favourite ship in Star Wars? As in, in the um, extended universe, meaning not just, not necessarily just the movies and the main ones, what are kind of the more, the weirder ships, the big ones? Now, because you're such a Legends fan, you're you're going to have loads of them. So I don't know if that means you've got an immediate answer, or if you want me to give my answer first and, let, and <laughs> give you time to think.
0: Uh, I actually do. I literally, as you were asking me the question, I did a short video on this ship uh, (laughs) uh, on on June 23rd. It was published as actually Nebulon Ranger from the Tales of the Jedi. Tales of the Jedi by Kevin J. Anderson and other Tom Veitch and other uh, authors is the premiere of comic books in Star Wars to me. It captures all the magic and spirit and grandeur and wonder of Star Wars. And, and first of all, I got to say, the the run in those comic books, the, the artwork is just phenomenal. Hmm. And uh, when you meet the main ship quite early on, and uh, I think you see it right from the first episode, because the, the ship used to belong to the parents of the lead characters, and then the young protagonists kind of like take over the mantle, and they pilot the ship. So the Nebulon Ranger, this really weird... I mean, the very first impression you get of it when you look at it, you want to say kind of like Imperial shuttle, Hmm. the Lambda-class shuttle, but not really because there's some sort of triangulation going on. There's like a panel going this way. And, you know, it's just a really weird ship, but there's something about it that it's not a rational or intellectual assessment. You look at it, and instantly you just... Yeah, that's Star Wars. Mm. That, that's phenomenal. Let's see. I, I guess it taps into our inner child, and you don't try to like twist and turn the page. And I like, well, how this thing would fly, you know, how would we, do, uh, you know, launch through tra- stratosphere and go into like, you're not looking at it logically as an adult, like whether this configuration will work or not. Like, why is this wing over here? Why is the cabin over there? It just looks freaking cool. And I think what gives each and every ship in Star Wars a staying power. It's not the design, and it's not even the look. It's the history behind it. It's mm. who's in it. If you don't have Han Solo in the Millennium Falcon, you don't have the Millennium Falcon. Orlando, I would take La- Orlando. I accept, I accept the or two. Orlando, of them. And and or Chewie, Ray. Chewie as well. Chewie
1: and Ray is still right. kind of, but yeah, Han, Chewie, Lando.
0: I completely right. agree. Those guys are the the foundation of the Falcon. What makes it so cool, right? If if uh, Kathy Kennedy indeed. Uh, uh, foreshadowed that the next trilogy of films will involve our sequel trilogy characters, then I, I believe that later on, Ray has the potential of showing us that she earns her patch to be called the captain of the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. But what I'm trying to say is that all of these characters in the ship, and all of their histories, and all the things that they survive, that's what makes the ship special. Mm-hmm. And when you go to the Nebulon Ranger, my guy, my sir... <laughs> oh my God, they go through an ordeal as just a phenomenal ship and I love it.
1: Amazing. Yeah, I mean, with me, I
0: one of the things I will say
1: about the sequel trilogy, like I'm not a sequel trilogy hater nor are you. I love, you you prefer the sequel trilogy to the prequels. I think I probably prefer the prequels a bit, mainly because I prefer Revenge of the Sith to every Star Wars film, so it kind of just trumps them all. Um, But... One thing I would say that the the sequel trilogy is severely lacking, and was actually a massive disappointment, even though it's not even the thing I'm that fussed about Star Wars with, is they just didn't do almost any new ships. They did like a yeah. you know the star destroyer, the bigger ones, the dreadnoughts, which were cool, and then you've just got oh we've got X wings again. You're like really thirty years later, and you're using X wings still. You couldn't even add something to them you know when you did the prequels right. they had the uh arc 170s or i think 150 something like that and it mm-hmm. was their the predecessor to x-wings and you've got yeah. a lot of the ships that were uh the separatist ships that were like the predecessors to the tie fighters so it works and that's one of the really cool things about legends when you reign it back you get to see the ships and in the high republic you get the vectors which were the predecessors to um x-wings and the arc fighters and things so the sequel trilogy for me had was very weak when it came to the
0: ship specifically.
1: It was just basically... Hey,
0: and th- not just the ship, but sh- ship battles as well were kind of...
1: Yeah, I like The Last Jedi one at the start because it's, so, it's not really a battle. It's more of a slaughterball than anything and it's brutal. But yeah, there weren't any major fights which, like that, which was quite um, bizarre thinking about it. But the Hammerhead Corvette, which I think was first in Legends, from what, I think it was in Legends comics, um, but it's what they use in... Uh, I think it's... No, it's the Rogue One. It's not the sequel trilogy. It's in Rogue One Um, when they're having the battle above Scarif, and then Admiral Radis gets the hammerheads, and they push one of the star destroyers into the other one, and then that crashes into the shield gate that opens up Scarif and allows the plans to get through. I thought an idea of basically a ship that's a a battering ram that can literally push a, a star destroyer into another one. I was like, that's such a cool idea. Like that that idea in the Disney canon is really cool and aside from there's that there's Poe's attack on the dreadnought in last jedi but then there's also obviously the holdo maneuver in the last jedi which is some of the best cinematography i think maybe maybe in cinema in the top 100 <laughs> not not the top 10 but i'd say in the top 100 of that moment it's so yeah. well done some of the top moments in all of star wars i love it and that's a very cool moment but it's not strictly speaking about the ships um but yeah, I, I just loved the hammerhead corvette in rogue one i thought that was so cool and it upsets me there's I think it's in a couple of books. I th- think it's in the Aftermath
0: books. So I think it must be in Legends, but yeah, I, just, I love that ship. I think it was such the a The cool moment that I saw that configuration, how it rammed into one of the Star Destroyers. I was immediately thrown to my Knights of the Old Republic mm. uh, era because uh, they have the Hammerhead-class cruiser there, which is basically... a. Uh, reinvention of their general design if you look at the two by two it's like oh okay it's just one is the iteration of the other so it's kind of pleasant that they looked back at the past and such an iconic visual quality of the cator series and they kind of introduced it nice nice so let's um tony's got a couple of other questions but we'll pause them
1: and skip ahead just so we'll go back and forth a little bit um so i've got a bit more of a fun question here uh from blake biles says so at blake biles and I'll try and make sure, I'm going to now curse myself when I'm editing this for saying this, but I'll try with people who've asked questions, I'll just put uh, like a little thing of saying thank you to, and I'll just list people's uh, Twitters. Mm -hmm. If anyone's, uh, I'll, I'll make sure everyone's okay with that. But, um, so Blake Biles, he's got two questions, but I'll only ask one of them for the time being. Which of all the Star Wars planets you know of, so you have to choose three planets, one to live on, one to vacation on, and then one to send your worst enemy to. So, um, there's some interesting ones There's some other like there's quite a few that come to mind. But um I'll go first with Live. Uh now this would be it'd have to be Living in the High Republic era, not not in the original trilogy era, which is Alderaan. I love Alderaan, yeah. and seeing it in, now there's a very minor spoiler for Kenobi, but it's in the first like five minutes, but they go to Alderaan in Kenobi, and you get to see, it's the first real scene where you get to see a lot of Alderaan mm-hmm. in live action. You've got a little bit in Return of the Jedi, Return of the Jedi, Revenge of the Sith, um, but I loved Alderaan and everything I read about it in the books and everything. It's basically meant to be just high society of Earth. It's meant to be the poets and the creators and the artsy types. And the, the cream of the crop is meant to be the best of us, almost, is Alderanians a lot of the time, and which makes hmm. the tragedy of A New Hope even worse.
0: So that's mine to live on. What about what, what would yours be to, uh, to live on? The one to live on is definitely Dathomir. And <laughs> not to confuse the Dathomir from what we see in the Clone Wars show, Mm -hmm. which is unlike anything like in the books. Mm -hmm. The uh, Courtship of Princess Leia and a lot of uh, expanded universe fans, legends, uh, readers enjoy it a lot because how it introduces this lush jungle world with rancor riding witches of dathomir Mm -hmm. which is basically a cult not a cult more of a kind of like a tribes different tribes of peoples that worship revere the force in their own unique ways and just have their also abilities like that um so star wars to me is all about being a jedi right Mm -hmm. following the luke story so if i were to live somewhere it's got to be a spot where you could learn some of the force Hey, if the Jedi are so dogmatic and they clearly didn't accomplish much, if sequels are to be believed, maybe Jedi are not the best guys to learn from. Maybe it's got to be a third neutral party that is not a big player in the galactic politics. It's A remote place, yeah. It's almost to me. It feels like going to the native uh, tribes of the Native Americas and going. Mm. You know what? I'm going native. I'm going to completely shed my 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 blue uniform, and I'm going to go live among the natives, learn their cultures, and learn their understanding of the force.
1: Mm, interesting well i was think what came to mind when you're describing it is felucia from the force unleash games because you sort go there of. yeah and you've got the you know the lush obviously that's based on the prequel trilogy uh version of felucia and things uh but that's got obviously the rancors that are native to that and the force sensitive beings that shark T interacts with and etc i quite like that so um vacation so that's i'll throw it to you now uh first where would you like to go vacationing in star wars core
0: Oh, really? Well, to check out yeah. the, the temples and things. Yes, it's Sith lore is awesome to me. Uh, as a kid, I used to be into Egyptology. Oh, you know, yeah. The ancient tombs, the scrolls, you know, the 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 great pharaohs. And that's what Korriban gives you the vibes of. And interestingly enough, they preserve that look throughout the canon. Mm. But even when you go, since I'm playing the, the Old Republic, the MMORPG right now, you, as a Sith assassin character, you're big in a Koroban. Dude, I live for stuff like this. When you see, like, that the guy, and he sees some ancient lore, you want to learn about this Sith? It's like, that's a perfect vacation. Just get a tour guide. Don't get into the bad spots where all the potential Sith holocrons or ghost specters are living. They could probably indoctrinate you. Just a safe route. You know, everything that's delineated by the guides, you could walk around and, like, learn your ancient history of the Sith. Mm,
1: yeah that's a good shout because for any people who've only really consumed canon uh, Corriban is in canon but they've called it Moraband for some bizarre reason they've
0: kind of and now in the canon it's like oh it's called Morriban but also As George the- Lucas current. he didn't like the name he wanted to be re- called, renamed to Morriban I think that took place before Disney Takeover. Yeah, Please check on that. It was, in that. It yeah, was. But- it's when right.
1: Yoda in, in the 6th, it was like the cusp of the end of Clone Wars. Right. It's when the series got cut. The, the Lost Season as they call it, which has yeah. one of the coolest arcs ever, which is when Yoda goes off and finds out to be a force ghost, etc. Um, and he goes to Moraband there. But I've been listening to the Darth Bane book, um, the books. I've read two of the three uh, so far. I'll to them because uh, I'm listening to my audiobook. And he goes, you know, he searches through the ruins and things and he comes across obelisks, which are incredibly yeah interesting creatures that I was horrified by, uh, and I looked them up to see how it looks, and it's even worse. It's a brilliant idea. But, um, where would I vacation in Star Wars? See, I might... I'm kind of boring, because I really like Naboo, because I'm just kind of like, if I was living in Star Wars, if I was in that galaxy, and I could have interstellar travel, most people in Star Wars have horrible lives. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're not a Jedi, like, pre, uh, pre-order 66, if you're not yeah. a Jedi, then anyone else in the universe apart from maybe a few people in alderaan and a few people in naboo most people's lives are really difficult and not easy and you know there's so many empires rising and falling i don't know a lot of it is you know political commentary on this current world and a lot of things going on in the world right now i am aware clearly people feel that way so i'm not trying to say that it's worse necessary in the stars galaxy it's just where there's so much more space and there's so many planets and etc i think i'd go to naboo just because even though the love that's fair the love scenes in uh in attack of the clones is definitely the worst part of that movie um it still is beautiful it's such a nice place it'd be so nice to just go there and chill out and you know roll around in the fields and low-key talk about fascism with your loved one you know it's fun times (laughs) why why not do that (laughs) and then um where would you send your enemies to i think this one's quite an obvious one Uh, So I'm going to throw out, someone in Discord, Steve J. Ray, shouted to him, he said Mustafar for the answer to that, which I think is, I appreciate the opinion, but I think that's too easy. Because Mustafar, and also, let's be a little, let's be a bit of a dick about it, Uh, Mustafar used to be a luscious planet, it used to be really nice, and actually, at the start of The Rise of Skywalker, when you've got Kylo Ren, One of the best scenes in Rise of Skywalker when it opens, and he's just cutting through people, and then he finds the the Sith Wayfinder from the ruins of Vader's castle, where that planet with the streets and stuff—that's Mustafar building itself back together because it's a VR game called Vader Castle Immortal and in that, uh, mild spoiler alert, there's basically this key thing that someone tried to use to revive a loved one. It went bad, cursed the planet and then in that game you find it revived the planet and it takes, you know, decades to come back. So if you say Mustafar, if it's Mustafar in the prequel era, yeah, it's pretty horrendous, just a giant volcano almost. But if you go back hundreds of years, it would actually be quite a lush place. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think I'd choose the opposite. I, I think I'd maybe choose Hoth because... You put someone on, in half, and there's bait. I think apart from tawns and wampers, there's not really much local fauna. You're just stranded, going snow blind. If and you're can, done. Yeah, and it's kind of like if you survive, it, this is a horrible thing, but it's quite a horrible death, is to freeze to death. And if you try and survive, like I'd give them a few things. I'm being so sadistic. I'd give them enough to survive for a while, but like a ration box. So it's not like you'd starve. You'd have weeks... To live, but you wouldn't have anyone to save you. You'd just be stuck on Hoth trying to evade wampers and stuff. Uh, what, what would you choose to send your worst enemy to? Uh
0: Mike, I'm gonna be a little bit more devious than you are. I'm gonna go for you're absolutely right in pointing out that uh, uh Mustafar is too easy. I wouldn't want my enemies to have it easy. Castle. <laughs> You're going straight to castle, my dude. You're going straight to uh, undergrounds, into those tunnels, or at least the castle, as I understand it, in uh, Legends, which actually the solo film represents quite freaking well. Mm. Quite well. I mean, the, the the technology itself, the entrance to the prison is a little bit different, but overall, you get the same kind of gist, that the surface is basically uninhibitable because it's like, there's some atmosphere there, but it's it's no not a place where it's like no man's land. And... The only facilities that you have are these refineries that are which are uh, underground and the prison there where all the like political prisoners, imperials, uh, all the kind of like rugged individuals are there to suffer and toil to get the spice. Mm-hmm. You have these uh, giant spice spiders that could at any point just snatch you away, not to be seen by your friends or, or fellow colleagues ever again. And that's that's what I'm sending my worst enemy. Dude, you're going in there, you're going to work your ass off in the dark and your fate will be a question mark on a daily basis. Wow.
1: That is amazing. <laughs> I'm thinking like, now that i thought about it, here's here's one that I really regret not saying I'd like to live on. This would kind of be my dream if, especially if I was a uh, force sensitive in any way. I'd love to live in Kashyyyk. Not uh. in the Imperial era, any time apart from that when the Wookiees are being enslaved. But, Pre like prequel era or high republic mm. era just the wookies are such kind beings and they're so intelligent and they perceive the force in very intriguing ways and i would just even if whether it was a vacation or to live there i think if i was force sensitive enough to maybe mars canata's level obviously i'd like to have more but minimum sort of baseline mars Kanata. if i went there i think you could really learn a lot from the wookies and i think If it was a vacation, it'd have to be like six months. Like, I'd love to live there for like a few months or a year or two just to kind of – it's almost the equivalent I view as almost when people go down to South America and travel for, you know, months and months and meet with like indigenous people and learn about cultures and you get the Mayan temples and Aztecs. So I think honorable mention for me is Kashyyyk. I wish I'd kind of said that. But, that's uh,
0: interesting
1: yeah i, I love the wookies they're one of my favorite species um mm-hmm. so let's let's move on keep on going we've got a lot of questions to get through and we both go love to it. talk um so let's go to um i am jack's musings so that is jack he is a, a pop gorilla uh, as well as he's on season's greetings as well and he has his own show back to the filmography where he's currently doing the jason statham um whole filmography. And I'm going to be appearing on that in two months, I think. Um, and he's got three questions. So let's go for one of them. So if you had uh, carte blanche, so complete freedom, to create any Star Wars content, what would it be and why? Which is a very big question. And I've already said mine, so I'll just say it and then you can go. It, it would be the Mars Kanata. It would be mm. the life and times of Mars Kanata. It would either be... I think it, a visual medium would really help. Like a book, the right writer could make it incredible. Like someone like Charles Saul, I think, or maybe Claudia Gray. Uh, like I love Kevin Scott, but he does horror really well. And I think that the Maz Kanata story would be more exploratory, more lore heavy, uh, or maybe more funny. And I think Claudia Gray is a bit more of the funny of the five higher public uh, authors. And then Saul has got a lot of world building, obviously, with, where he started with Light of the Jedi and things. So I think either either a comic series, but I think maybe a a animated series. Um, where there's lots of episodes and it could be quite episodic kind of like Bad Batch or Clone Wars where you'd have either just individual episodes that were cool weird and wacky but then arcs and a kind of through story and I think if you had like three seasons of it and it kind of spanned the majority of Maz Kanata's life it would be incredible. I don't think we're ever going to get that because to go back that far is going to go back to when the Sith were. And obviously at the moment in the canon, they're they're holding that very close to their chest because they're slowly moving back. They're going to finish off the High Republic before delving into the Old Republic and retelling God knows what. Uh, but mm-hmm. that would be mine if I could have anything. What, what would you do if you could just magic it?
0: Uh, for me, it would absolutely be a trilogy of feature films because, uh, look, as much as we enjoy... Our television shows and animation and comic books and, and video games um, and I sort of kind of pl- placate myself and say, Ben, look you get a lot of Star Wars, all these shows and I really get the time to spe- you know, spend time with the characters and 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 f- fill out the narrative, make it interesting and prolonged. There's more to enjoy. But nothing I think will ever top a cinematic experience of going there, the hype the anticipation of, of seeing a Star Wars film. And I'm going to go a little bit um, weird route here. Because when you say Star Wars trilogy, you want your numbered trilogy, right? Mm -hmm. You want either the continuation of Skywalker Saga or prequels or sequels or in between equals, but in the vicinity of what is known. I would go a completely separate route. I would create a trilogy which is neither canon or legends, Mm -hmm. which basically doesn't tap into any established the lore created by other very talented authors that helped George Lucas create this universe. It is not just George Lucas's universe, right? It's everybody chipping in and adding bit by bit, just like the latest Kenobi show. Mm. The, the ideas and concepts that it flashes out, it builds that universe. My trilogy would be in a remote part of the galaxy in an unspecified time completely disconnected from the technological level of what we see in either of the Star Wars trilogies, and it will focus on completely new characters, maybe, maybe a tiny nod to Skywalker Bloodline somewhere, kind of like a hint that that, that lineage, that that Bloodline was there before, hmm. because in my mind, Anakin Skywalker has not been conceived by the Force. That's just me, guys. Disregard me, please. Well, it's just a grumpy- got, that's, There's a question on that, so we'll go into that in right. a minute. Awesome. I I don't think he, in my understanding of Star Wars, there has to be a Skywalker bloodline. But anyway, I would have the trilogy that focuses on core principles of what makes a good Star Wars film. Not tropes that we've seen before, not cameos, not recognizable characters, or not even iconic ships. Completely reinvented from ground up. Because I might sound radical here, but I strongly believe what makes Indiana Jones IP special, what makes Star Wars uh, uh IP special is the way the kind of themes that it invites and combines together that we have not seen before because the Force Awakens it was rehash of episode four and then other consequent uh you know films, literally ripping down scenes from what we've seen in Star Wars before. And I just don't like that route. I want a complete reinvigoration of Star Wars with pillars, with themes that were understand. Oh, here's his hero's journey. Oh, this is going to take for him to find the light again and stuff like this. Oh, the, this character basically meant to substitute a, a kind of like wise, old, grumpy teacher, kind of like Kanata is, which she is a good example of Yoda. She's not a literal carbon copy of it. So this would be my Star Wars trilogy, all mm-hmm. new concepts.
1: Interesting. Well, Taika Watiti, and I know you weren't as much of a fan of Thor Ragnarok, but I won't have your opinion on that because this is my show, and I will not have anyone besmirching that name. <laughs> I know Tonya is a agree, and a lot of people think they don't like Thor Ragnarok. You are wrong, because uh, Thor Ragnarok is fucking amazing. Um, but uh, Tiger, he's obviously making a, a Star Wars film that's going to be very different, not going to rely on any uh, characters or anything like that. I know he will. He's not made a bad film yet, okay? You, sir, need to watch something other than Thor Ragnarok. You need to watch Hunt for the Wilderpeople, one of the greatest films ever made, ever. But this was a Star Wars show. Uh, so this links in quite well with what you've uh, said, actually. There are two questions which link in with what we said. But let's go with the first one. There's another question from Jack, uh, so staying in that. And he said, what do you hope to see in Star Wars Visions Season 2? Now, that's linking in because, um, obviously, you're a big Visions fan. And um, I, I enjoyed the concept. I think there are a couple of really incredible episodes. And I think that the idea itself is so brilliant and i want more of that and they've obviously confirmed series two they're going to have lots of different animation studios not ones just based in japan i think they're going to have an irish one some spanish one a few other bits and pieces um and myself jack uh ria and also megan all did a styles visions conversation it's about two hours long i think and we went through all nine episodes of visions gave all our opinions on that and uh, i'll make a link to that in the description as well, my friends. Uh, but so, Star Wars Visions season two, what would you generally like to see? And if there is one episode in particular of something, because obviously we could almost do an entire podcast on what we'd want in Star Wars Visions right. series two. So, in general, if just a general idea of what you want to see and maybe an example of one episode or so.
0: Every time I go into anything new, whether it's Star Wars or the upcoming Avatar movie, which I'm very, very excited about, I don't have a list of wishes, demands, prerequisites, or criterias. Surprise me. That's the biggest impact that the Visions has made, where, to me, Mandalorian, Kenobi, the Book of Boba Fett, are toying around with concepts that have been invented before, But it's just playing around with those ideas, like, hey, what else can we do with Kenobi? Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh, you know, the uh, Boba Fett, he existed in the original trilogy, what else can we do with this guy? Visions has the total and complete frame to say, you know what, we're not canonical. We're not here, left side or the right side. We're going to go right down the middle, and we're going to celebrate an explosion of ideas. So much so that when you look at some that specific Astro Boy episode, which is totally not up my alley. Mm. It's only something that I didn't anticipate for or genuinely was like, oh, my God. I looked at it, and I said, you know what I recognized was, hey, hold on a second. Each and every one of those episodes is not Tailored to me. I may not have liked that Astro Boy episode, but I bet a five year old sitting next to me, maybe in theaters or something, it was his life changing experience. And I recognized it in each and every episode, even the Rhapsody one, which I'm a huge metal fan. So, I like so. my rock music. I thought that episode was ludicrous. <laughs> it was obscene. It was like, it was so off the wall, just batshit crazy. But that's good. Instead of saying, you know, we have to honor the past with what George Lucas would have done is like, it's almost like, you know, taking the Bible and not understanding the message, but just worshiping every line and not reading between them. That's what visions is. It looks at the DNA of stars and say, ha, let's go over here. What is this episode going to do? It, it, it's so stimulating because it, it touches different parts of, of your mind. Oh, you want a badass duel? Let's give you the duel. Oh, you want some interesting Sith and Jedi intrigue, let's give you the Ninth Jedi. It keeps doing that. That, that, that is my only criteria from Vision Season 2. Keeps surprising me.
1: Mm, that's a very good answer, and I agree completely. It's like every episode of Vision's hyper-focuses on an aspect of Star Wars. Bohemian mm-hmm. Rhapsody was kind of a homage to the music and the goofier side, but it didn't really land, especially because the music wasn't that good, and it upset me because so many anime uh, starting themes are so iconic, and that one... Was not. Um, yeah, it not it's, it's funny you mentioned the Astro Boy one, because I think that was uh, the Toby one, T O B R. Toby, yeah. And mm. um, that is Jack's most hated episode. He just spies oh, okay. that. I thought it was awful. I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was bad. I was, like, yeah. I, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like, not really for me. Um, my personal favorite episode of Visions was Ronin, the first one, I just uh-huh. thought the animation style in that is just i think it's just some of the most beautiful animation i've ever seen in my life and the way that they did that like semi, like three like two and a half d almost it looked hand drawn but it's 3d models and it all you oh, i could talk about that episode all day but i'm not going to for me in visions uh, i would like you mentioned ninth jedi and ninth jedi i think was the best episode in that i thought i loved the ronin one the most um but i think that the ninth jedi was the best written yeah the story of that the way it unfolds i won't spoil it for anyone but it's it's as you say it's it works so well it could we could almost fit anywhere in star wars you could if you put it hundreds of years before the skywalker saga or hundreds of years after it would work it and works just the, the concepts in it are genius they need to bring more of that so um i love that and I, I think the the village bride i really like that episode as well um very mm. samurai but i think for me what i'd want to see in visions series two is more experimentation You know, as you say, I want weirdness. I I would rather they try ten weird things and any two of them land than them do ten things that are all okay. I hate mediocrity. I hate it. My music taste reflects that. I like very extreme ends of music. I like death metal and deathcore. I love classical music. I like uh, non-English speaking music. I've got a whole playlist. All kinds of stuff. I was listening to um, Camilla Cabello today. uh, and And earlier I was also listening to Slipknot. So it's literally... My music taste is all over the place. And with Star Wars, especially the prequels, what I respect about the prequels is the risks that George took. They didn't all land. And a lot of them definitely didn't but he tried something and the world yeah. that he created the law of the original trilogy brilliant but i stand by i think the law of the prequels is the strongest part of it and i think it has the best law of any trilogy because it opens the world up so much more than the original trilogy did original trilogy That's had the best story good point but the amount of law the amount of stories you've got to think in legends as soon as uh uh. Um, probably episode one episode two around that time but you know that time from the early 2000s when disney recanonized things that's got some of the best legends content in it you've got some incredible stories in comic form in book form and so many of the bet apart from i think rogue squadron and the head to the empire trilogy and then obviously there's new jedi order and some of the other comics which are all held in very high regard the essentials legends collections the main pillar books that are the most popular 80 percent of them are released after 2000 so it's that era once you opened up the world of the Sith you got the Darth Bane books you got Darth Plagueis you got the uh, you know Quinlan Vos kind of came into things you've got so many elements they could play with and when you go oh 20 odd years before Luke there were 10,000 Jedi you go how many stories can you tell of that so with me with visions I want it to be experimental I want it to be weird and wonderful crazy I would love a Sith story if I had any choice of what they could give me though i would want more like a sequel to the ninth jedi it probably wouldn't i probably would say i want it and then i'd get it and wouldn't like it very much but i just love the concept of holding a lightsaber and yeah. changing color that's I, I i love that um so that's a yeah brilliant question there jack i know that uh i know that, was that you're, an
0: awesome question
1: yeah i know that you're a massive visions fan uh ben so it's going to be fun when uh series two of that comes out um so let's jump around a bit more so um We've got, um, which is uh, Reckless Rebellion, um, at Reckless Rebels on Twitter. Um, they ask, how do you want to see the world between worlds used in future stories? So for any listeners, this is a very, people for Rebels, this is a very minor spoiler for Rebels. But if you don't know in what context, it won't spoil anything. Uh, but in Rebels, at some point, there's a world you can get into, a world air quotes, uh, through a certain gate basically. Um, very special one. And you go into this kind of force realm and there's lots of paths and doorways and it goes through time and it could even go through universes. We don't know. It could be linked to Legends. Who knows? But the way it's used is very clever in that. But if we don't say what how it's used, because I don't want to spoil the part in Rebels that that happens, but it's a very intriguing world. It's, it's basically a MacGuffin. It's kind of this whole semi-time travel, semi-you-can-go-to-any-point-in the Star Wars universe, and kind of do stuff, um, which is interesting. And I'm surprised they haven't used it yet. I'm glad they haven't. But if I said for them to use it again, if I wanted them to, what would you think? Would you want them to use it again? Would you rather they didn't? How would you? What's your opinion?
0: I wouldn't mind uh, if they used it again. It worked really well for me in Rebels. Uh, the only thing I don't want it to be used for is as, as a crutch mm. to kind of like retcon characters, the stories they didn't work out. I mean, when you take Marvel and DC Universe, it may be argued that earlier writers, when they saw that stories kind of start running onto each other or when different writer picks up the same character like Batman or Superman, Wolverine, they kind of don't feel right or the same anymore. And they justified it by saying, look, uh, parallel universes. But then the other side of the argument is, no, 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 it was a conscious effort to push in that direction. So different authors could have a different stab of a franchise like X-Men and within Marvel comic books give you different iterations of it, right? With Star Wars, if it's going to be a gateway back to Legends, it's basically going to null everything that canon has done up to this point. Mm -hmm. And I I wouldn't want that. With all the victories and losses that we had, with the Kenobi show, which I did not like, with uh, you know the 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 Mandalorian show, which to me is just like mediocre at best. With all the things that I dislike, that tons of things that I absolutely love in this new Disney era on Star Wars, and just because you have some major major grievances here, arguably, you know, the sequel trilogy, as much as I enjoy watching it, I think there's so much higher potential for it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be discarded. I don't want it to be swept under the rug because once you go that route that Marvel did, I believe, was it 2012 and 13? It was my last year working in my store and they did the Marvel Universe Reset. I keep forgetting what it's called. Uh, DC did something parallel to that called 52 oh, Weeks. It was, and the, Marvel did, it was the Spider-Man one, wasn't it? It was the whole Mephisto deal. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. They, re, they basically rebooted the entire Marvel comic book line, right? They oh, said okay. like, oh, we're we starting from scratch and now we're going to do these lines over there. And they retold the Civil War in a different way. They started doing X-Men in a different way. And I just, I lost it. I, I'm not going to follow it anymore. How many times can you retell, redo these stories? It felt like it was a device to go back on the promise of what you were doing before, mm-hmm. uh, this is this is a very powerful tool with a world between worlds in Rebels, and I was almost semi hopeful that would they would bring Luke Skywalker back in Episode Nine and he is alive and he still gets his uh, moment to shine. But you have to be very, very careful how to execute it. Because 99.9% out of the uh, chances, it's going to look like, oh, by the way, yeah, we, we don't think fans are received. It's going to be reactionary. and I don't like to see that. That's a very good point. Very good point. What I'd like them to do
1: is this is um, one of the uh, Star Wars comics on the main runs, uh, 2020 run by Charles Soule. Um, I, I think it's issue, uh, it's... I think it's issue 20 something. It might be 22, 23. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's got Luke Skywalker on the cover and he's holding like a um, a small hollow, uh, a com device. Um, so there's very minor spoilers for that. But I spoke about it with my conversation recently with uh, Claudia from Rupalp's Pod Race on uh, Genuine Chit Chat and also on YouTube if you're watching this. And there's a scene where Luke goes to a planet and he goes in this place into this kind of weird, uh, like, sinking water thing that's like force sensitive and then he can commune with other people who've been to that place Um, and he talks to a character from the high republic and luke interacting with elzar man who is my favorite character in the whole Mm. high republic and elzar and it's a point where luke it's you know post empire strikes back he's trying to find himself you know he feels like yoda's abandoned him obviously obi-wan isn't really talking to him very much and he's, he's just feeling very lost especially when he lost so badly against vader and he really needs he, he, he taught, he's trying to find himself and Elzar literally goes to him look if you don't want to be a Jedi you don't have to be you can just go off and live your life there's no you don't have to you can choose to and there's so much more to that comic and I don't want to fully get into it. I really recommend people check it out and I'll be tackling it on the show um, in the at some point this year maybe early next year depending because part of the Crimson Rain thing which the War of the Bounty Hunters uh, sequel thing but that kind of interaction is what I'd want from the World Between Worlds So kind of what you said almost like I wouldn't mind having a having char- having like having a story in the High Republic. Say we get a High Republic movie. I know we're getting an animated series, but they're going to do more um, High Republic stuff. There's a game in development, but it's with a bit of a dodgy studio. So who knows where that's going to go. And Star Wars have a very long history of cancelling games that seem promising. So who knows? But I think I'd really like it if you got maybe like an Old Republic character. Um, and you got, see, there's rumors that the Ryan Johnson trilogy is going to be the Old Republic or something like that. I don't know. But if you got something from like eras and eras ago, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years prior, and you got a character that we recognize and we know from the Skywalker saga interacting with them, if it was Ahsoka or if it was Luke Skywalker, like I imagine, like Luke Skywalker, this would probably upset a lot of people, but imagine almost like you get like a Revan story and then he talks with luke and that helps him figure out who he is because the whole revan story obviously is about redemption and then you know he's very uh convoluted but it's a great story but i wonder how that would go or the reverse where luke you know is struggling to find himself kind of like i said in that comic and he goes back and talks to maybe redeemed revan and then that sets him on the straight and narrow i would like to see an interaction between characters that you can't get without time travel right with it just being a conversation you know, one of the best bits of the Kenobi show is the interaction between uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin. You know, their, their conversations, some of those things, it's really, really good. Obviously, it's a prequel, you know what's going to happen anyway, but that's what I like. I like getting characters, you know, and you've got Ahsoka Tano and her in the Mando-verse sort of stuff. What I'm excited about with that is who she can interact with. I want to see that conversation with her and Luke and them talking about Anakin. I think they're saving that for the Ahsoka show, I hope. Or we're going to see it at some point, and they're not just going to gloss over it. But I want to see that. That's that's one of the things that really gets me in Star Wars a lot of ways. Yeah. Right, well, let's get on to some more questions. Um, some of these, I'll, I'll do a bit of an easier one. Um, so... One of them, uh, this is um, Max Byrne, um, which is at Maxi Byrne on Twitter. Um, he hosts the show Mandatory Marvel and DC and also the show Mandatory Music and CD. Uh, he's also guested on lots of other episodes and things. I've been on his show. He's been on mine. He's a delightful person. He gives the best intros in the podcasting realm. He asked two hmm. questions. Um, but one of the questions is, is quite a quick and easy question to answer. And it is, who was Palpatine sleeping with to have offspring? So I'll just briefly answer this and if you want to add anything uh ben you're welcome to so in obviously rise of skywalker it's confirmed that uh, ray is the granddaughter of palpatine which i think is one of the worst parts about that movie it's just a mess but putting that aside uh palpatine a lot of people don't know this because um i think was it delia dawson it was so whoever wrote the expanded uh, edition of the rise of skywalker book because all the but all the novelizations they've released of the five movies that have been released since uh, the disney canon they've released novels of them and they're extended editions they've got extra scenes more perspectives other stuff in them and one of them is explained that ray's dad was a clone now it's almost a throwaway line you barely get anything from that but there's a book that's come out and I will not spoil it which is called Shadows of the Sith both myself and Ben are partway through it so we couldn't fully spoil it anyway because neither of us have finished it Mm. Um, but in that it centers around Rey's parents uh, Ochi Bestoon and then it's also got Luke and Lando searching for stuff it's very much connected to the Rise of Skywalker and that book confirms that palpatine's air quotes son is actually a stand cast clone named dathan he was not force sensitive in any way snoke was also a stand cast clone but he was force sensitive and obviously other reasons were making him the way he looks he did but basically palpatine didn't from as far as we know in canon palpatine didn't have sex with anyone um and i imagine knowing palpatine if it did it probably was not consensual and was probably quite horrendous so i don't really want to think about that um so he didn't have any offspring sleeping with someone he was trying to clone himself and then he made a clone that was not force sensitive uh and then i i not only don't fully know the answer to this but i don't want to delve into that element any further because it was somewhat spoil uh, shadows of the Sith. i didn't know if you had anything uh, briefly to add to that i do
0: Ooh. we're gonna go into the darkest hole of palpatine's sex life <laughs> uh, <laughs> look uh, it's not far-fetched to conceive that before he became the Emperor, right? You look at Palpatine in Phantom Menace, he's like, okay, he's not a looker, but he has that elegant, regal look to him. Hmm. Maybe he, when he was even younger, commuting with his master, Darth Plagueis, and plotting to take over the galaxy, maybe he had a concubine or two. Still in a, his you know sexual prowess, he's still capable. Maybe there's like a force Viagra, that kind of like <laughs> Sith techniques that help you like amp it up. But even as grotesque as it may sound, when he becomes the emperor and he's shriveled and dark, once again, maybe, obviously, there is no romantic musings that he may have or kind of lovey-dovey stuff. He's running the Empire, dude. He's as dark and cold and calculating as it gets, right? Maybe he is... Sexual activity was only limited to like, hey, I need offspring, just like ancient emperors, right? Like, hey, I need offspring to, to whom I could pass on this empire. And even in his like, old shriveled age, I can potentially maybe see a concubine where he's like, you know what, I'm taking this slave, I'm taking sl- this slave girl, as, as ugly as it sounds, I'm going to use them because I need that offspring, and he's some force potential sensitive. Or if you want to go and be completely grotesque, he wants to spiritually violate his offspring and inhibit their body. He's like, I'm gonna have a grand granddaughter, a grand grandson, and I'm gonna inhibit their body instead of going the the clone route, which clones n- no force sensitive clone has been successfully done. You have Joris Savayoth in the uh, original Throne Trilogy. We becomes nuts. He's a psychopath. He's a failed experiment. Maybe it was Palpatine's way of saying, hey, I'm going to have an offspring, which I'm going to take over, because that's how twisted I am. Hmm. Definitely an interesting perspective.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could have seen, especially if you, if anyone reads the Darth Plagueis books or listens to the audiobook, you, and uh, I think Cloak of Deception as well, where you get Palpatine's rise to power.
0: Right. When you get that vibe, he he's very charming, very charismatic. You could see him. Yeah. Maybe he laid the groundwork much earlier than we perceive, and maybe his son or daughter gave birth much later. Or maybe it could have been a grand-granddaughter or something like that. Mm,
1: yeah. Interesting. Um, so let's move on to uh, a question from someone called Thomas Carter Rochester. Now he um he's on Twitter at TC Rochester a c t uh and he's a friend of uh miss tonya Todd's. who she's also got a question for us friend of the show Uh, but he's got two questions for us this um thomas gentleman and one of them was thoughts on palpatine creating anakin via the force and he put creating in uh quotations now he is referring in his, his tweet, he was referring to the comics in some ways. Because on the third page of the 25th issue of the Darth Vader run, twenty in the 2017 Darth Vader run, by... Charles Saul, one of the greatest uh, Star Wars authors of the modern era. Um, and Darth Vader 25 is probably my favourite Star Wars comic ever, I think. It's just a giant Force vision and it's incredible. On the third page of that, there's, there's parts where you get to see Anakin's Force entity kind of walking through his life in a sense. And there's a part there where you see Palpatine uh, standing behind Shmi, kind of looking sinister. And then it's got like um, an image in her stomach of like a swirl. And then in the comic, it's kind of being like is it? And then the next panel's kind of like, or is it not? And I think the comic is meant to be like, you don't really know. Now in Plagueis, the Darth Plagueis book, it's heavily, heavily insinuated that Plagueis and Palpatine were playing around with Sith alchemy and as a kind of vague counter, the Force created Anakin to try and balance the Force, as the prophecy says, to try and stop Palpatine and Plagueis in some ways or maybe obviously happen the way it did. But what are your thoughts on Palpatine creating Anakin by the Force? I personally think it makes sense in the canon, but I don't really like it very much. I I really don't like uh, Immaculate Conception. I know that's a story of Jesus and things and the Bible and you know nothing against christianity or catholicism but i mean when i found out about that i was like god joseph must be so mad mary's wife and there's that great family guy joke which is like basically god slept with mary (laughs) to to make it and joe just had to sit there and watch because it was god and obviously slightly blaspheming but you know i'm atheist or whatever um but i don't like that Imagery. I, I don't like the chosen one. I don't. I like prophecies to a degree. I like self fulfilling prophecies, you know, when a character finds out about a prophecy and they try and prevent it and they end up it. That's all right in. When used correctly, but I, I've i never been a fan of the Chosen One Prophecy or the Jesus stuff that really heavily, not even on the nose, it's like right in front of you. I've never been a fan of that, so although story-wise I think it makes sense, I quite like the idea that I think you're going to delve more into, which is if there was a Skywalker lineage, if Shmi was just lying and there was some random person who did... Um, Maybe they were together, and then he died like immediately after conception, and she just doesn't want to talk about it. And then you could go back and find that Skywalker lineage. You could go a thousand years prior. That would be quite an interesting concept, which I'm sure you will probably have a much more
0: thought-out idea on. So I'm going to say right off the bat that I don't care what the factual uh, uh, information is, whether Anakin is or isn't, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, All of Star Wars matters to me, to the point of how I interpret it and which stories are meaningful and interesting to me. Like yourself, I never liked the idea of Immaculate Conception and the Chosen One. It immediately distant, distanced Anakin from myself, unlike Luke Skywalker, which in whom I could see myself. He was a template for all young boys and, you know, Leia was for young girls all around the world. He didn't need to be special. He didn't need to belong to a certain creed or look a certain way to feel the magic of those movies. And when he did this was Anakin, again, it's George Lucas, nobody can fault him for making the movies that he wanted to make. I respect his stance. I respect that he tapped into religious theology as much as folklore and mythology. That's fine. It's his universe to play in. But to me, Luke Skywalker is an infinitely more compelling figure than Anakin. And as far as his immaculate conception goes... I don't care for it. Because if you say he's an immaculate conception, you basically make Shmeek Skywalk into a, a birth-giving cow. And it's, to me, it's so discarding and dismissive of her character. Mm. Because, you know, the actress, she did a wonderful job. Every time I see that scene in Attack of the Clones, which is my favorite scene
1: Oh yeah. in that one of my film. Favorites.
0: Right, when, when Anakin is like, Mom, and she's like, You've grown so much, Annie. And then she passes on, right? Give her some agency. Make Skywalker line mean something. It doesn't start with Anakin. He's obviously not a good poster child for Skywalker bloodline with all his deeds, right? It was it took Luke to come in and and save him and bring him back to life. So you telling me there were no Skywalkers before this time? How about Shmi? Why she couldn't be Force sensitive?
1: That Why couldn't be?
0: Right? Why Why couldn't there be another Skywalker in the family of Skywalkers and the tradition that Luke has to live up to? If there's so many interesting characters in Star Wars Legends. For example, the X-Wing books, Corin Horn, who finds out he's an a ex-pilot, who finds out he has force abilities. And when he starts going into his past, discovering why he's so... Once again, it makes for such relatable, interesting people. Nothing against Christianity, right? I'm Jewish. Christianity, obviously, is a religion that is derived from Judaism, right? And when you look at uh, 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 the figure of Jesus Christ, he's above human. He's a God figure. He's not somebody that you can model yourself after. You should just recognize him. You know, he died for your sins, and you should accept and love him. But you can't model yourself after him. So from that particular angle, you can't be like him. Because he is the son of God, which is the ultimate co- contradiction in any re- religion is, well, how about us? Since God created all of us, aren't we God's children too? No, you you are, but you're not Jesus level, right? Because that's why we in pop culture, we have Jesus level. You, you could be like strong and then you could be Jesus level strong. Again, guys, we're not trying to blaspheme or disrespect anyone's religion. We're just two Star Wars nerds musing our thoughts out of like, hey, how, what figures? To me... Anakin Skywalker war, uh, works his best when he is not attached to his Skywalker name, as 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 contradictory as it sounds. Mm-hmm. Anakin Skywalker war, works as a character where he's in the middle of life and all of these conflicts that he's trying to figure out. That's why he's a brilliant character in the Clone, war, uh, Clone Wars TV show. You forget that he's a Skywalker. Mm-hmm. You start seeing the person in him. And then the question of... Whether he was of immaculate birth or not becomes irrelevant. Mm very good points yeah i agree
1: with you uh, completely there um so we move on um there's another question from thomas coming on a little bit later but we move on to a question from brett scott which is at real brett scott Uh, he hosts the show marvel plus uh and he also hosts quite a few other shows so i'm just gonna say marvel plus because i can't list everyone's all their shows could be here all day um but he asked two questions which are very similar so i'm gonna ask them both at the same time so he said which character from rebels would you like to see in live action and then which other characters from clone wars would you like to see in live action so if you've got the choice let's make it a bit easier uh, you can choose one character from clone wars one character from rebels they come in in any live action um and we'll say here um i know there are people listening who don't pay attention to any um anything that's been announced for Star Wars celebration or casting confirmation if we put that to one side and pretend that no one's been confirmed for any live action stuff that hasn't already appeared in in the current live-action content. Make sure we don't spoil it for anyone, um, because I know a couple of my listeners are very much... uh, They don't watch trailers. They don't do anything to do with spoilers. So I want to try and make that as fine as possible. So, characters from Rebels and Clone Wars. I'll go first, because I've got one immediately. Who's in both. Hondo Onaka. He is... Without a doubt, one of the greatest characters in all of Star Wars. Uh, You can actually go see him at Galaxy's Edge, I believe. Um, He's in the Galaxy's Edge anthology comic. He is in the Clone Wars. He's in Rebels. He is such an important character. He's so clever. He's so different. He's morally grey, and they're some of my favourite characters. And he's funny. He's so funny. I love him. Any Hondo episodes is top tier. So for me, it would be Hondo... Um, I'd say Hondo Onaka. He's just, he's a weak way space pirate. He is amazing. Um, he's in both. So that's kind of choosing them. And I would say, aside from that, I think I would go if we choose Rebels, I would love to see Zeb in live action. A lot of people say Hera, and she's a very major character. She's in the Alphabet Squadron trilogy of books. She's in Star Wars Squadrons. She's going to, she keeps being mentioned in content. She's in some of the Star Wars comics as well. I've been reading. She is going to appear at some point. You know, I'm not saying that because I know something other people don't. I just know she's such a major character. She keeps getting spoken about. But Zeb hasn't been spoken about, I think, in anything aside from Rebels. And I love the fact that his character and his species is made after the Ralph McQuarrie concept art for the original Star Wars where you had an R2-D2 that was a bit different that got made into Chopper and you had a character that was meant to be like a Wookiee but before Wookiees were a thing Han uh, Solo. Well yeah you've got all of those things and you, you if anyone look at, I'll try and I'll make a note to put a link into the Ralph McQuarrie concept art I'm referring to because you've also got I think uh, Luke as a, a woman as well when it was originally going to be that mm-hmm. so you've got it's such a cool image and Zeb's species is always gets confused with a wookie and that's a very clever on the nose thing because he was the original Chewbacca he was meant to be so I think Zeb for me from Rebels and from Clone Wars and also Rebels would be Hondo
0: Onaka what about yourself good sir so both from both shows uh one from each one from each so first of all I gotta say Hondo Onaka's voice actor Jimmy Cummings yes. is amazing everything that he does from Baldur's games video games to modern stuff he's amazing and uh, I just have to throw it out there: if you're going to have a live-action uh, version of Zeb, there is no other actor who could portray him mm-hmm. than Vin Diesel.
1: Oh, that's an interesting because it's one.
0: because it's about the family. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be about the family. My two characters would be: I'm going to cheat with the Clone Wars because I can't pick. There's too many good characters. Either Asajj Ventress oh. with her comic book looking appearance, yes. that yes. more mature, goth kind of like look. Or uh, Quinlan Voss, who, who's one of my top Jedi of all I time. I should
1: have said, I've, I, during the Kenobi discussion shows.
0: Yeah. Every well, I always I have better Kenobi. choices. Don't worry about this. You know, I'm the master, Ben Kenobi, and you're the one. <laughs> Learn from the best, okay? <laughs> uh, but from Rebels, uh, definitely Kanan uh, uh Phenomenal character. Phenomenal send-off. Amazing journey, not as a Jedi student, although... He was kind of like an abandoned, you know, orphan student who kind of had to come into of his own. But getting into the role as the master and living that life, which is so, in contrast so different to Luke's and Anakin's journey, wow! What a character! I would definitely love to see him live. I, I'd completely agree with you there. I think Kanan uh, is, and once again, don't worry,
1: people who haven't seen Rebels yet, we won't say anything about it. But Kanan is my favorite Jedi. Like, Obi-Wan and uh, Ahsoka are always ones I name because they are top tier, but they're quite mainstream. But Kanan, I'm f- I'm fairly certain my next Star Wars tattoo is actually going to be of Kanan. Because he's nice. Rebels is my favourite Star Wars content that exists. And Kanan is probably my favourite Star Wars character. J- just under Obi-Wan, because I've got so much history of Obi-Wan. You know, and he's such... he I grew up with a prequel, so Obi-Wan to my core. But Kanan is... Phenomenal! I, yeah, I love that. that. That's such a good yeah. idea. Uh, so, thank you very much, Brett, for both of those questions. Um, so, we've got we still got some more going. Uh, so, let's see. So, we got we got a few more. I think we're over the halfway mark now. Though. Don't worry, Ben. I know you are sweating one out. Uh, so, let's go back to Tony Farina. So, he asked, and this quite this links in quite nicely. Um, who do you think will be the next Legends character to show up in canon? So, I'll we'll make this two pronged: the one who you think will come up, and then one that you would like. To come up if you want me to go first i can because i've read a lot less the letters. one that
0: you think and the one that you want
1: yeah huh well I'll, I'll, one, yeah, yeah go ahead yeah because you, you've read so much more legends than me i've only read a handful so yeah say, i have to scratch my head here for a moment i have I to see, think the next one i mean there's either minor characters because this incredibly minor spoiler for kenobi incredibly minor most people wouldn't even notice i didn't is corin horn he his mum, him and his mum were in Kenobi, so he's technically a Legends character. So ooh. um, I think where it's going and timeline-wise, the next Legends character, I don't know about the next, but one I think is guaranteed is to be Darth Bane or Darth Revan. I can't see mm. them going into the the Old Republic without retelling that story in some way. So although I don't think it's going to be for a very long time, I think, inevitable, they're going to bring back Revan Probably, and I'm fairly certain they're going to bring back Bane, but Bane's technically canon because he was in the clone, like a spirit version of him was in the Clone Wars arc with Yoda. So I'm kind of cheating there. The one I would most like to see, I mean, it would probably be Star Killer. I had a whole when I spoke with Kevin mm. Scott, me and him had this whole conversation on Star Killer, which obviously is what my tattoo is of, which I'll show people our stand up. So anyone watching on YouTube, get ready. Uh, so my Star Wars tattoo here, which oh god see it there nice of um, Starkiller it's on my on my arm and it's my the Force Unleashed games are my favourite Star Wars games ever it's my favourite Star Wars story ever and um, yeah I would love to see Sam Witwer be Galen Marek I don't if they did it similar to the game that would be fine but if they brought him back in any other way I would love it. There was a lot of things going on about him potentially being an Inquisitor at some point, maybe even being an antagonist of Jedi Fallen Order, which I think would work very interestingly. I'd love to see that. But that's kind of... They're probably mine. I kind of evaded the question a little bit because who's going to be next is a
0: a real tough one. Um, But what about yourself, Ben? Who have you got? So I have several characters. Uh, We've already seen the fallen lizard-like characters, which kind of like affect people with their pheromones in the Clone Wars show. Mm-hmm. And there's a famous, famous character, Prince Shizor. Mm. right? At one point, he kidnaps Leia, the Shadows of the Empire. I'm going to actually bring a couple of characters from there. He makes a whole lot of sense because we do have Black Sun's crime syndicate being canonized officially. Mm-hmm. And he is the head. You can't have that faction without... Prince Shizor. He's just too big of a character. For those of you guys who may not know, in around, I believe, 1992, was it? Or oh, 1996? Hold on a second. I'm actually going to look it up. I think it's 1992. i it was. Uh, you're going to enjoy. Keep talking, but I'm going to grab something for the right. video listeners. Yeah. So in 1996, there was a huge... Uh, um, campaign that came out from from Lucasfilm. They were basically trying to advertise it as the next big thing in Star Wars, almost like a Star Wars movie without it being Star Wars movie, which was Star Wars The Shadows of the Empire. It had a video game, it had a soundtrack, it had a comic book series, it had a a how cool is that? So anyone listening,
1: watching, sorry. To Sweet,
0: but, dude. So, that's so a it, present for me, right? My birthday is next week.
1: <laughs> so it's <laughs> IG, IG-88 and Boba Fett. My friend Alex Hart bought me this, and he's been on Genuine Chit Chat before. It is the it's the comic in there, or the first issue of the comic, in along with uh, an IG-88 and a Boba Fett. And right. it is just... and so even on, on the yeah. back, you can see... That's Prince Chisor. There you go. So anyone who's watching video, if you've not yeah. read Shadows of the Empire, there's just a few of the action figures you could have got. And shout out to my mate, yeah. uh, Alex, where he got me this amazing... And I'm never opening this, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sorry. Uh,
0: please continue. <laughs> I just want to show that off. It's He makes as much sense to traverse from Legends into canon as much had as uh, uh, Thrawn himself at business being back in Star Wars canon. He's just a big, huge crime syndicate type of character that you want to see. But also from the same book, from the same Shadows of the Empire campaign, Dash Randar. I mm-hmm. mean, we have Andor Shore coming up. And right, and and Dash Randar was one of these guys, these mercs who, I mean, back in the day, some of the fans criticized him because he was too much kind of like roguish, Han Solo-ish type of character. But to me, he stood on his own. He was interesting enough. And he has just brilliant visual character design. If you guys Google just Dash Randolph with his vest, his haircut, he almost looks like this art deco, pulpy era, kind of like renegade sort of character you would see like on a Palp magazine in the 30s or something. Such the vintage, almost like a, um, a Buck Rogers uh, 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 uh show. Very, very cool. So maybe him. So I think it's either him or Prince Shizor. The character that I want to see is probably one of the more challenging and unlikely characters to bring into canon. Obviously, Luke Skywalker's love interest, Mara Jade Skywalker. She is one of the definitive characters in Star Wars. I would say definitive, and not just Legends or canon overall. And if if Disney really steps up their game on the whole representation thing and strong women thing, and it's not just a hollow thing that they try to repeat and drone into us, uh, now and then, a really want representation that all of the fans can rally and get behind. Put Mara Jade back on the map, man! Like so many fans love her, guys, girls. I I, I can't remember how many people I talked to that came through my comic book stores. Like, oh man, I wish she was in Star Wars. Mara Jade. Mm,
1: very very good answer there, and I'll throw one out there as well. which one more as an honorable mention. Kyle katan katan from uh the Jedi out Jedi for Dark forces games and then Jedi outcast and things and I played um Jedi outcast a uh, Jedi Academy to Jedi outcast I had that on the Gamecube and that's a brilliant game and he I think you could actually fit him into Canon not yeah beca- look as obviously he's where, where when Luke's new Jedi order is It's been going on for a little while, but it's still not fully off its feet. I think he could work really well, because I want to see more Mm -hmm. characters in Star Wars who are Force-sensitive and can use the Force, like the uh, uh, kid in Last Jedi, who aren't explicitly trained. I like it when you get people who've got weird and wonderful Force abilities. I like it when you've got characters who are different and interesting. I don't want it to be, oh, you're slightly Force-sensitive, well, now you have to be a Jedi or a Sith. Exactly. I want... The, the, that's one of the beauties of Legends I and mean, the Grey Jedi and lots of these other things and one of the reasons I love those games um, the Jedi Academy games and Dark Forces was that Carl Coturn he used the force and then he stepped away from it and he just wanted to be kind of a smuggler for a while but then he falls back into it and he keeps getting pulled back in and he knows that he use a lightsaber and all that stuff but he's not a Jedi and I really like that and I think that's what they're kind of teetering with with ahsoka but it seems like in the animated series it's like she's definitely not a jedi she keeps saying she's not a jedi and one of her most iconic lines is i am no jedi but then in the mandalorian when she pops up she's
0: pretty jedi in that she's doing jedi-ish things
1: yeah and she doesn't even say when she won't train grogu she doesn't say i'm not a jedi so i won't train him she's just like i've i've seen what this happens with this kind of power and this sort of affection and i don't want to do that again whereas she had the perfect opportunity to be like I Am No Jedi, but Dave Filoni's at the helm. He knows what he's doing. They're probably going to save all that for the Ahsoka series. But more questions to go. So linking in uh, with uh, sort of characters and legend things. As I said, we're over the halfway mark, so we're, we're getting towards the end now, Ben. You don't have to worry about you sweating and becoming a glob, like the guy in the first X-Men movie. No, no, I'm
0: having fun. <laughs> That's let's, let's do Senator.
1: this. <laughs> let's do this. So um, another question from uh, Max Byrne, which was, do you think episodes 7, 8, and 9, so obviously the sequel trilogy, do you think that the their killing of the main trilogy of classic characters was a mistake? So obviously each film has the death of a legacy character. I know that you've got some very strong opinions on legacy characters, so I'm interested to know, uh, do you think it was a mistake killing them? If we say they got brought in, do you think it was a mistake killing
0: them? Do you think it was a mistake? What's your kind of thoughts on that element? I think it was a mistake from George Lucas to even include them in this this trilogy. He said himself that the Skywalker, Luke's journey is at an end. You know, you have your character resolutions and the credits roll. And after episode six, they live happily ever after. But being the fans of stories that we are since the dawn of time, since mythology uh, days that we had in antiquity, people always like to revisit favorite heroes and stories. So we demand more George Lucas is going to give you more. He brings all of these characters back. And I think that it was a mistake because it didn't give enough room for the young cast to really get the spotlight. Hmm. Because when Luke Skywalker pops on the screen, you don't want to see anything else. He (laughs) dominates the screen. When you see Han Solo on the screen, how do you make renowned legacy characters, quote unquote, how do you put them in the story? Effectively, just mechanically, what what is the excuse for them being in the story? Well, you got to give them new conflicts. As we mentioned earlier, their character arcs are over; they're done. Now you throw them back into action. Now you have to introduce new conflicts for them to deal with. I felt that Han Solo's conflict with his son was heartfelt. I felt that death, even though I sort of saw it coming. Was well, like, okay, Harrison Ford is not going to be there for much longer. But still, they kept the surprise of the death until the end. And it was very meaningful, emotionally, cinematically. With Luke Skywalker, I also enjoyed that death. I liked it because Luke Skywalker, to me, is perfectly in sync with the man that we saw at the end of the episode six. And that all of that lore story that we sort of get off screen of who he turns into and who this young woman Ray turns back him into. She gives him hope. She comes back and he saves the day. He does it in the most Jedi way possible. The nonviolent way. They're not attacking his nephew, even though his nephew is a complete dick. He tells him, (laughs) look, turn away from evil, Ben. You know This loneliness will give you nothing. See you around, kid. He winks and Seeing the ultimate force, Luke Skywalker, was enough for me to say. Like Mark Hamill killed it with the acting. I felt the death was very satisfying. Now with Leia, obviously Carrie Fisher passing on, it touched all of us. I, I didn't. I was surprised. Usually celebrities passing on doesn't affect me as much. It really affected me this time because she was such a huge part of my childhood. She's a wonderful actress and a mm-hmm. human being. Um, And I was very cautious how they're going to address that because they said we are giving uh, Carrie – her due, and we're going to have a wonderful under- and touching send-off. And to be honest with you, J.J. Abrams' final film is populated by the same set of issues he had before, which is this breakneck pace that you don't get enough time to just sit down and enjoy these characters and have them to, like just absorb all the things that are happening to them. But the one scene that I absolutely loved in this film is the parallel action happening between... The 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 destruction of Kylo Ren and rebirth of 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 Ben Solo when when Ray stabs him mortally and and the only person that comes to him in her final stroke of like I'm gonna go out for my son just like I was there for all of my friends for Han for Luke all these years ago I'm gonna save my son and she basically gives her life in this last outreach for for uh, Ben uh, Solo and say come back to us. Indeed, he does. It's such a meaningful death. Forget the rest of the film. Forget that where, where these characters belong in the story. Why are you bringing old actors out of their time? Put all of that jazz on the side. Just speaking strictly of how this character passes on, Leia was done brilliantly. Han was done really well. Luke Skywalker. I, I like all of them.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's. Very, I mean, I agree. I think. I think Han death in Force Awakens makes that film like. I think I probably enjoy The Last Jedi slightly more than The Force Awakens I think yeah. especially as I've rewatched them so many times I think that upon the rewatch I think that Last Jedi has a lot more rewatchability but mm-hmm. The Last Jedi also has kind of what the prequels have is weaker scenes the Kanto Byte stuff is weaker and to me that's kind of like nowhere near as bad but it's kind of like when in Attack of the Clones you've got the scenes of Anakin and Padme it's just boring and you're just like I just want to get through this. I want to get to the cool parts where you know Kenobi is being an investigator and I want a bit to get to the cool parts in Last Jedi where this is deep struggle and etc. But and mainly the, the Ray and um, Kylo stuff as well as the Luke and Ray stuff. But I liked all their deaths. I think they're all very well done. I agree with yeah. everything you've said there completely. Um my only qualm is building off what you said, which is you said not to do it, but I'm gonna do it. Ben solo should have survived. If they'd have made Ben survive rather than it being literally the same shut up, Ben, Um, is that (laughs) if they'd have made him survive, the reason for it is because The Rise of Skywalker is a carbon copy of Return of the Jedi, but it's just not as good in almost any way. And the way they could have changed that, the way they could have made it a, a true redemption story, and also it would have made such an intriguing trilogy of films when they inevitably make more in 10 or 20 years. If Ben survived, but the end of the film was everyone rejoicing, but Ben going away in cuffs and him saying, I need to make amends. I need to make up. I don't want to do what Vader did. I don't want to just turn to the light and die and be, I'm I'm irredeemable. I need to spend my life committing. And what he should have done then is gone on missions on like, um, almost like a suicide squad. You know, that sort of thing where he goes on missions that no one else wants to go on. Huge risk, fairly big payoff, but he just goes off and does these things. Him and Rey have a degree of connection and the whole trilogy could be their struggle. She's trying to rebuild the Jedi Order. He has to stay at an arm's length because the galaxy can't accept him. You could have had so much intrigue and conflict and if they made the films 10 or 20 years later, having the characters aged 10 to 15 years, you could have had a Ben Solo of 45-ish, maybe even 50, struggling, still struggling with the dark side, kind of like a um, someone who has a drug or an alcohol addiction. Right, right, you know, right. When it never goes away. You, you don't get people every person who's ever been addicted to um, drugs including alcohol, even people smoke cigarettes you don't just wake up one day and you don't have the, the desire to smoke you don't have the desire to consume these things yeah. every single day you have to try, it's a struggle yeah. and if they had that with Ben if they had that with him struggling not to go to the dark side he gets put in these missions where it's so easy for him just to cut through people and he doesn't and he keeps not doing it and then maybe the middle film could him having a relapse and him going on a mission and someone almost kills Ray, or kills a really major character like Chewie or something, obviously he dies in Legends like two or three times, but if they had Chewie maybe die in episode, what would it be, 11, and that turns Ben to the dark side again, and he goes around slaughtering people, and Ray has to bring him back again, you could have had one of the most intriguing perspectives on Star Wars and the dark side they could have had, and I knew they wouldn't do it, and it really pisses me off because I'm just like, it's so cheap. I hate it when you've got. Oh, he's really bad, is he? Yes, but he did one nice thing, and he sacrificed his life to save the main goody. And you're like, but that doesn't redeem him. Saving one person who inevitably saves the galaxy does not redeem him from mass genocide, slaughtering unarmed civilians, killing family, friends, and his own dad. He doesn't redeem himself. He takes one step in the right direction. But
0: that's Vader too. Exactly. That's
1: why I wanted it to be different. Because Vader, it worked. But with Kylo Mm. Ren, they spent two movies being like he's trying to be Vader, but maybe he's kind of worse in some ways. But who knows? He's still conflicted. They could have built on the conflict that you
0: get in The Last Jedi, or they should have just made him go full heel, and they didn't. Mike, as a consolation to you, because you're getting very, very passionate here. I can sense it through the screen. (laughs) One of my favorite characters that I'm dying for you to read that book, that story, has the story that you're talking about done to perfect. Faction, mm. And that is what is my favorite. I told you before, I tell it to all of the friends that I podcast with, to me, Star Wars is powerful stories. It's not lightsabers or star destroyers. When I tell you that there is such a story, a story of fallen redemption, that is, holy smokes, it's amazing. <laughs> it does exist in Star Wars. It's not canon.
1: But <laughs> yeah, just. I think it's, it's Revan, isn't it? No. Oh, well, interesting. Okay. No. Well, very uh,
0: the, the Knights of the Old Republic Bioware video game uh, uh uh I'm going to spoil it I'm going to reveal it if I say anything else okay well
1: then maybe, maybe don't we'll keep it keep yeah it,
0: um, it's, it's Revan is modeled after this character that's all I'm going to say okay very interesting cool well, sorry that was me going on a bit of a rant so uh, that's, that's <laughs> quite no I just wanted a bit of console I wanted you to know that it's like hey man I wish there was like that regret I wanted to catch it real quick I'm like Legends fan speaking to you. <laughs> the story is there. <laughs> I'll make sure of it. When we, when I've forgotten this conversation, at
1: some point in many months, just go. got, oh, by the way, Mike, I recommend this book. And don't mention anything about the Redemption stuff. Yes. Um, but we'll go on to a, a question from uh, Tonya Todd, friend of the show, been on many Comics and Motion stuff, lots of genuine chit-chat stuff. And she's on Twitter at Ms. Tonya Todd, MS Tonya Todd. And um, she asked, excluding anyone in the main movies of star wars she put episodes one to nine but let's put all the movies so excluding any character that has appeared in any star wars movie who is your favorite star wars character and why now it's a lot easier for you because the vast majority of legends characters haven't appeared uh in in that so let's try you can choose a legends character that's fair but is there anyone that's more so i think she was kind of aiming at people around the skywalker saga so if you say. It, you can go decades before the skywalker saga but if we keep it within that 60-ish year period what would you what would you kind of choose characters around the skywalker saga that aren't in the movies now one cheat for this is the high republic because none of them are in any of the movies apart from no Yoda. but that's not close that's no exactly so I'll, yeah we won't do that because the high right, republic right. we need to have a whole podcast on the high republic soon um which i'm very excited to do, but. Any characters... Because I'm trying to think, because there's a few... I have one.
0: Yeah? Yeah. Okay, you got uh, uh, So in Legends, much later, much, much later, when Boba Fett has this trans- transitional, transformational period where he goes from a lone assassin and a bounty hunter and a renegade, he assumes the role and responsibility of the Mandalore the Great. And one of the characters that he meets is his granddaughter, Mitra Gev. My guy... When, when I say, like, this is just, like, spazzing out, not even on the story, but just, like, nerding out how badass she is. You meet her first in the book, and she's, like, barely teenage girl with, like, this, like, sun-kissed uh, kind of, like, skin complexion and short curly hair and sort of girly because my personal interpretation of her physical appearance was she's indeed attractive, but that's not the point. The point is that that attractiveness is locked off by this Mandalorian armor, you, you best believe she delivers the goods when it comes to fighting. <laughs> you want to you meet the offspring of like Boba Fett, the one that could kick your ass and not even blink? That's her. She's definitely one of my favorites. She was such a big surprise when I read about her because I'm like, who's a teenager like rocking a Mandalorian armor? What could she do? Right? And we got something like Sabine. It's somewhat comparable to. To the two obviously sabine is a much younger character in terms of how long she's been in the canon so it, it remains to be seen if her story will become as epic even though she already had some epic stuff but uh myrta gaff will definitely be mine mm, interesting so mine would be
1: kanan jaris but we've already spoken mm. about kanan quite a lot as i said he's top tier but he's in the series he's not quite as much of a he, he's still right. quite mainstream he's kind of second tier uh mainstream so Um, Obviously, there's people like Asajj Ventress, who I think is incredible. Um, She's an amazing character. But I think I'm going to go for comic characters. And I'm I'm torn between Baylor Valance and Dr. Aphra um so dr Afra is the antithesis of uh, indiana jones she's a rogue archaeologist she's she's got a, two of her own starring um title comic series she started off in the 2015 run of darth vader comics and she's pretty cool in that then she gets her own story and it's just off the wall and it's bonkers and it's amazing and then the 2020 run is amazing as well i love her she's incredible but i think by a hair by a hair and I know that a Hayden of Valance Nations is going to be very happy for me to say this. It's Bailok Valance. Now he's obviously starts in Legends in like the I think it's the right. seventy seven or seventy eight comics. Like he was in the first I think he's in a, I think he's in the thirtieth issue or something like that. So he was within a year of Star Wars coming out. He was there, and he's a cyborg. His character in Legends is a bit different from how it is in canon. The, the broad strokes are the same, but he first appeared in canon in the. Uh, Han Solo Imperial Cadet comics, um, and then he appears in Target Vader. He's the main kind of part of that mini series, and then he's in the Bounty Hunters comics. And at the moment with Crimson Rain and War of the Bounty Hunters, he kind of flits between the Bounty Hunters comics and the Darth Vader comics. And he's a man who he's just he's trying for a redemption. He's not he's not done anything like explicitly evil but he worked for the empire a lot and then he got very deformed because of it and he had loads of cybernetic replacements and he's his biggest fear is not being human anymore he holds on to the fact he's got a human heart but all and a human brain but almost everything else about him is cybernetic and he wears synth skin, synth skin a lot and when people call him a droid he gets very offended by that and he clashes with people quite a lot and he. The writer Ethan Stax- uh, Sachs of uh, Bounty Hunters, uh, there's a like the thing in the, in the Star Wars community where it's just like, Ethan Sachs hates Bill of Valance because he's great at writing him. But every few story arcs, you just think, oh, his life can't get any worse. And Ethan Sachs is like, <laughs> hold my beer. And oh then you my- just go every moment and every story arc, are like, oh, Valance, you poor, poor soul, Valance. And I just, I love a tortured soul.
0: I'm so, I'm like He's Alex Murphy star. of Star Wars.
1: who's alex murphy uh robocop oh i see yes yeah yeah yeah. that's a very comparison
0: yeah Yeah, yeah, like basically a ghost in the machine a human being psychologically stuck in this robot body yeah he's definitely i
1: would very much agree that i think the modern day valance must be influenced uh by alex murphy from robocop 100 even like even the way that alex murphy becomes robocop as well that brutal the brutal scene Valance, you don't get one scene but you get Bits and pieces You're like, here's how he lost his eye and his arm, here's how he lost both his legs, here's how he had to have all his major organs replaced, and it's like, Jesus
0: Christ, he blew oh. me away, man. Like, and I, I also, like yourself, I didn't know that he is from Legist. I quickly looked it up as you were talking, he appears first in issue 16 of 16. 1977 comic. Right, and uh, it was such a wonderful thing to discover he's a Legends character, indeed ported over, and so well done. Like, I've read a couple of chapters of the Bounty Hunter Wars, but I did read the complete Bounty Hunters, which I loved from start to finish.
1: Mm, Yeah, Valance Valance is a character. I know we said that we've already had questions about live-action characters, but I would love to see Valance in live-action, because even with James Cameron's Terminator movies, which I think... You know, Terminator 1 and 2 are phenomenal. Terminator 2 is my personal favourite, just like Aliens, Alien and Aliens, both phenomenal. Aliens is my favourite. But when you get... Because of what uh, special effects was back then, just even in sort of the late 80s, early 90s and things, Yeah, when you get the, the special effects of being able to have half a face being robot... Even then, you still watch Terminator 2 today. It still looks incredible. It's phenomenal. You think yeah. How much further both visual effects of like makeup artists, but also how far CGI has gone, where you get things like um, I'm not going to spoil anything about Stranger Things uh, season four um, because I haven't finished it yet. But in that, they do it where the main baddie is almost all completely physical things it takes like six yeah. or seven hours for the actor to put the makeup on and it's like they obviously there are minor things tweaked with cgi when things are moving but ninety nine percent of it is physical uh special effects prosthetics and that's when and that's why star wars in a lot of ways is so timeless because when you've got good special effects that are physically there it doesn't if they look real in real right. life they look real forever but when you get cgi it's a bit off and i just think they could do such a good job with valance I don't think we're going to get that. I think he's going to have some sort of horrendously tragic end in the comics at some point when Ethan Sachs has stopped kicking him while he's down. But he's—he's. He's, I love him. He's. If anyone wants a story about him, he's, guy, awesome. he's yep. just beaten down. It's Vance. Um, so thank you, Tonya, for that lovely question. So we've only got a few questions left. Um, so one of them is... Uh, more of an objective question Uh, so once again it's from blake biles and he has asked has there ever been a tale where the protagonist or major supporting character was an ewok and it wasn't on endor if not how would you pitch a story like that so in canon uh there's one main story um it's daniel jose Older's book last shot i think it's set around six or seven years after Return of the Jedi. Um, it's a Lando and Han Solo tale. I listened to the audiobook of it, and it's really, really good. Lots of time jumping and stuff. Um, but there's a character in there called Peekpa, and uh, she is a hacker, basically. She's an Ewok who's incredible with technology. Uh, she doesn't speak basic, but she understands basic, so she still speaks in Ewokies. And she's retconned into Return of the Jedi. So Peekpa wasn't in Return of the Jedi, but because... In Legends, they named every Ewok, but in canon, they haven't explicitly named every Ewok. In the canon, they were like, that one. She can be Peekabur. So this character that's in Last Shot, allegedly, was in Earth Return of the Jedi on the Battle of Endor, but she does you know, mention it and stuff in the story. But she's quite cool, and she's not... They don't go to Endor or anything. She just goes along with like Lando and, and Han, and she's like way better of technology than they are, which is quite funny. Um, and then there's a minor thing, which is on Endor, which is... Um, Tales from Vader's Castle, number four, written by Kevin Scott, and that's basically a Wicker Man para- homage to the Wicker Man. Um, but you know of a legend story which I have I- not read, so please inform us of the legend story that doesn't take place on Endor about Ewoks
0: or has. Well, not obviously it. it would be the biggest cheat, right, to mention the Ewoks animated show. <laughs> They're all that's on Endor. Stars yeah. of the show. They're all but on yeah. Endor. So, yeah. Yeah. so this story here, guys. The book that I'm giving away on my channel, self plug here, shamelessly, "The Heart of the Jedi" by uh, uh, Kenneth Flint, which obviously it you know, was available for a very limited time. Long story short, it's the first legend non-published book which finally was published in 2015, and it was on StarWarsTimeline.com and uh, also here, guys, through my channel, which I'm in no way actually affiliated with those guys. <laughs> Right, it was self published for free because uh, early on Del Rey would not publish his book, even though he f- finished the whole manuscript, it was official Star Wars book to be released. It never got released anyway. Here, not only we get a New York pilot, I'm just if you don't mind, I'll divert a little bit. Do it. The Luke Skywalker Hall we see and we see in The Mandalorian, it's here, it came out in 1992. I couldn't believe it. I'm reading the first couple of chapters, like, huh. John Favre must know about this book. Because what, I'm se- what I'm seeing in that show is like, uh, 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 this was written like 20, more than 20 years ago. 30 years now, holy jeez. But anyway, there is an interesting character with a twist. It's a little bit unbelievable, but I promise you guys, it becomes believable by the end of the story. You understand why. There's actually an oversized Ewok who speaks basic, who's sort of kind of ostracized from the rest of the Ewoks from his culture. and He decided to navigate stars and becomes a pilot. It was such a quirky and interesting. And I would say because of the how this character ends up towards the end and his role in the whole story, his arc, you could tell definitely make an argument for him that he's a, like a major supporting character. Very, very interesting. I forget his name. I was trying to Google it as you were speaking, Mike. I, I couldn't find it. I'm sorry. But anyway, if you want to check out a book, with a, a Ewok pilot who speaks basic, as weird as it sounds, it's here in this bo- uh, In this book, anyway, guys. One more time, Mike. Uh, again, I'm going to basically exploit your channel here. For anyone who wants to this book for free because that's what I'm doing. You could check out my channel, check out the Star Wars Timeline uh, Facebook group. We're giving this book away for free because I honestly felt it was just like so disingenuous some fans are trying to like charge two, $300 on, the, on eBay and trying to take advantage, advantage of uh, Kenneth Flint because all he wanted was to, to get exposure for his work. And now that I have interviewed him on the channel, there's a couple of other YouTubers that uh, Echo Base Network, I think they interviewed him as well. And he's finally getting the recognition for this book. And man, this is a fun ride. There's a lot of fun happening here, including um, talking uh, Ewoks.
1: Wow, amazing. That's a great plug. And yeah, obviously I'll include links to um, Star Wars Timeline, your um, your channel. I
0: demand it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You shall get it, sir. But we've got another question here, which I think this is from Tony Free. Now, this was his third question. This, I think, is more of a joke question. Um, I think we're probably going to both have a one-word answer for. Do you know anyone who got the full Darth Maul face tattoo? Well, I don't know anyone personally who has any face tattoos. There's a few people I'm friends with on Facebook who I'm acquainted with. I think there's a couple of People who've got either, um, I, well, I know people who've got eyebrow tattoos if they have alopecia or maybe, uh, I know people who've got head tattoos like, under their, um,
0: mm.
1: my friend Carla, she was on like, episode I think 13 or 14 of Genuine Chit Chat mm. all the way back in the OG days. She's got a tattoo on her head, which is covered up by her, her hair most of the time. But a full face Darth Maul tattoo, because a lot of people may not know that Darth Maul, his skin, and Dathomirians, uh, or Dathomirian Knight brothers, because he's a Zabrak. So Zabraks are around the galaxy, but on Dathomir, they're like a subspecies, basically. They get tattooed at a very young age. So Darth Maul isn't actually black and red. He's red-skinned, and they tattoo the black on him. Um, I just Googled it just to see if I could find anyone who's got the Darth Maul face tattoo. Um, It doesn't seem to be. Mm. I don't think anyone's gone that full out... um, have you? Do you know? Uh, have you even heard of anyone? I've seen. There's one person on I- Imager, mm. like Imja who seems to have like similar markings around it, but and they've got a lot of people who've got like Darth Maul either face painted on them or his face tattooed on a part of them, which is fairly common. But
0: I don't know anyone who's got actual Darth Maul face tattoo. Any thoughts? Uh, on that? No, I I've seen quite a few tattoos. Once again, when you're dealing with a comic book slash video game clients. Obviously, tattoos are going to be a thing. You know, it's a popular, you know, pop phenomenon that a lot of people like to put on and enjoy. You know, different artworks, but on their face, no. I've seen some tattoo artist and his wife. That's by the way, actually, on in the Bronx, where my store used to be on the Broadway and Two Thirty First. We were called Bulletproof Comics, right? And it used to be there's a couple of uh, 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 tattoo parlors there in that part of the Bronx, and there used to be a young man and his wife come over and they did have facial tattoos and they did love star wars but none of their tattoos surprisingly were star wars related i Mm. can't and i think it would be a questionable life choice for you to get a full darth maul tattoo because goodbye jobs you would probably have to work remotely with like a little animated emoji on your face
1: yeah i think unless you are already famous or if you were like a tattoo artist or something, that's probably the only way you can.
0: Dude, even if really you're famous, you're if you're hiding your likeness behind Darth Maul's like terrifying mask, kind of like appearance, you're begging for for trouble. Like people, are like please avoid this demon. Remember, a lot of grandmas here in New York were not taking their kids to see the Phantom Menace because they thought literally that Darth Maul was a demon. He was a devil. Like there's a lot of uh, cultural association you got to take into account. So once again, I'm saying I'm not judging anyone who has tattoos. That's wonderful. But if your entire face is covered by Darth Maul mask, that's a questionable life choice.
1: Yeah, well, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree with you, especially the character.
0: Also, I wonder if it
1: would be. There's a whole other question for another podcast. But I wonder if it'd be almost copyright because obviously <laughs> you can get tattoos on. Like I've obviously got Darth really? Vader tattooed on me and uh, you know that sort of stuff. But if you had your face the exact same as Darth Maul, surely then your job would have to be being a Darth Maul impersonator. Surely you'd have to go to conventions and do that sort of stuff. I don't know what other job prospects there would be for you. But if you did that and you didn't do it for charity, surely you'd have to have Star Wars on board with
0: you. So Let's not give fans any ideas because somebody listening to this podcast might say, Huh, how do I get famous? Let me get a Darth Maul facial tattoo.
1: I mean, I will say it's uh, tattoos, uh, a tattoos. For long periods of time, do hurt. Uh, to clarify, um, not as much as some people say they do, but they do sting a lot. Uh, face tattoos, I haven't got one, but I I'm imagine pretty certain hurt. they hurt a lot. And also, the entire face or shading that will cost you a lot of money. That's like thousands and thousands and thousands yeah. of dollars. Like, so yeah, fun question, Tony. But no, I don't think I'm not sure if anyone has got a full Daphne face tattoo. Um, so I think we've got five questions left. Uh, so let's get on to a question um, from brian ivanhoe Uh, his twitter handle is at testmonkey 6k and he is one of the individuals that we do not want to spoil rebels for uh, because they are watching rebels at the moment and uh, brian has asked are the inquisitors former jedi that have turned to the dark side what is with all the sisters and the brothers third sister etc and what are your favorite episodes of each series so that's a few questions kind of in one so First of all, if we just focus on the Inquisitors, generally speaking, they were in the Darth Vader comics in 2017 by Charles Saul. Mm -hmm. Uh, They go into how the Inquisitors kind of got recruited in some ways. Rebels tackle the Grand Inquisitor, who did obviously show up in Kenobi. Um, He was a former Jedi guard and things, and Rebels delves into all that sort of stuff, but... The Jedi Fallen Order game t- touches right. it a little bit as well, but the Darth Vader comics also do. It's basically just Jedi who were either prone to dark side or things like that. They basically got captured and tortured, and they were either asked, Do you want to join us and be bad? And it was like, yes or no. And if the answer was no, then they would be heavily, heavily tortured and often disfigured and like limbs cut off and replaced with cybernetics and all kinds of other horrible stuff until they would bend to the will of Vader, um, who was more powerful than basically all of them. Uh, A lot of the time, there were quite a few Padawans that were turned into Inquisitors as well. So in short, yeah, they were former Jedi that were turned to the dark side, but they weren't... Some of them were forced to do it. This is the Inquisitors in canon, because obviously there were some in um, Legends mm-hmm. as well. Um, what's all the sisters and the brothers? Out of universe, it's a cool way to refer to people. In universe, I don't actually know. I don't know if it's a ranking system, because there's no first brother or first sister. There's the Grand Inquisitor. And I don't know if the f- you go up, and because obviously, a very minor spoiler for Kenobi, there's points where a certain Inquisitor gets to become a Grand Inquisitor when... Previously, we thought there was only one Grand Inquisitor, so I don't know if it's maybe a ranking system. I don't know if you had any thoughts on what I've just <laughs> waffled on about. I,
0: I think I know about this side of the lore a lot less than you do because you're so much invested in the current comics, which I'm mm. still slowly trying to catch up to. I'm, I think I'm like issue 15 or 16 of the current uh, mainline Star Wars comic book line. Mm. Now I got to start reading Vader. I promised you in our previous podcast that I'm going to start reading uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Aphra as much as I... Didn't like her in the Vader comic book. I'm hoping still that this, her mainline comic book will grab me and present something interesting. Although, there isn't a slightest chance I will ever like her droids. They're just horrible. They, I, don't oh, I love they're, them. They're horrible. I, I think um, they're so good. Yeah, I, I think they're just stupid. Uh, sorry. Uh, I still love you. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love i love i mean don't BT, uh, bt yeah bt1 is triple zero i love the fact you've got a homicidal maniac yeah basically c3po shell that cracks me up yeah. thinking c3po's uh etiquette stuff and just wanting to drain the blood of people yeah. it's so extreme and so ridiculous but in the story in the doctor afro comics they delve
0: into it a lot more yeah.
1: and it it's it, they keep saying how stupid and ridiculous yeah, yeah. it is but,
0: it but works uh, to answer thing. that question i, I want to sort of Twist it around a bit and, and sort of mm-hmm. cheat and halfway answer the question. To Go me, ahead. first of all, the way that they designate what one another—your number one, your number six—it's almost like similar to what they do with uh, stormtrooper designation numbers. They strip mm-hmm. you of your humanity. They do it with stormtroopers, obviously, harkening back to the clone troopers who were the originals. Only back then, the Republic. Sort of kind of regarded them enough as human beings to allow them to participate in like calling themselves each other names, you know, decorating their armor and so forth, allowing that in the military, even in a military discipline, because they recognize them for who they were, humans, well, versus the empire who tried to give designate these numbers like thin, right? Like FN, whatever. which 2187. Like, yeah, that's, I think that's sort of a similar parallel with the inquisitors. But to me, they were especially interesting because as a kid, when I first saw. Vader. I clear there was my earliest memory of Star Wars. Watching Vader walk into Tantive four in Episode 4 just parading in and the moment I could identify the difference between his armor and the rest of the stormtroopers, the first question in my mind that popped in was like, hey, there's got to be more than this one guy. Yeah, he's obviously powerful. We see what he does at the end of the film. He's the father of Luke Skywalker, the great hero, blah 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 blah. But there's got to be more of them. If there's a lot of these star destroyers and ships flying around doing Emperor's bidding. There's got to be more dudes like him. Is this a uniform that he's wearing? Not just a hand-tailored armor. Anyway, in the when I listened to the radio drama from 1980 of the New Hope, and they mentioned Grand Inquisitors there, to me it kind of like linked up with my childhood fantasies of who these other Empire generals are. That's how I personally view inquisitors, and I didn't like them in Kenobi because they were inept; they they didn't do anything. In Rebels, it stands to reason that because it's a kids' show, they kind of they do amp them up, and I believe they're a lot more resourceful in the Rebels show. And they do present a challenge for Ezra and Kanan for the rest of the team, but they still got to lose at the end of the day because it's a kids' show, and you know the heroes must prevail at the end. But anyway, they felt a lot more threatening and menacing in that show. And once again, Rebel Show reiterated to me that point that you have the big boy Vader over here. He maybe is uh, is the one who's closest to the Emperor and has the Emperor's ear, but you got to have more subordinates who are above stormtroopers. Who are still rocking a lightsaber. Like, why wouldn't Emperor surround himself with more power to protect himself? Because there's another idea in Star Wars that I never liked, never said, well, it is the rule of two. I think it's just stupid. It's like because we see only Vader and Emperor in the original trilogy, you're going to extend that bit into a whole narrative that there can only be two. Like, dude, you need more people, you need resources, you need people you could trust. Or if you don't trust, you need to subjugate them, like you did with Vader right? So that's who Inquisitor they are. They're basically these generals that exist in the Palpatine's Empire who do his bidding, and they command ships, they rally troops into battles, they're the ones that oversee that when shit needs to get done, you call for Inquisitor.
1: Mm. Yeah, very mm-hmm. well put. And so linking in just to the final part of uh, Brian's question, which was, what are your favorite episodes of each series? Mm-hmm. And just as a reminder, I don't know how far uh, Brian is through it, so if we just think that he's not past series one uh we'll just say so if we want to say what the episode names are and a very vague summary um i will say my two favorite episodes of rebels um i've probably got about i mean how many episodes of rebels are there i'll just say that's how many favorites i've got um but you know series one anyone watching is going to watch rebels even if you didn't like clone wars watch rebels it's a whole other level series one of rebels is good it's a good show. The finale is brilliant. But from series two onwards, it's just phenomenal. But I think the finale of series two, Twilight of the Apprentice, is some of the best Star Wars we've ever had ever. Uh, I stand by that. And anyone who's seen it, I don't think anyone has disagreed with me in that statement. I think it is among some of the best moments in all of Star Wars. But my favourite moment in the whole of Rebels um, is an episode called Jedi Knight. It's in the last series... It features heavily around Kanan and his journey. And I won't say anything else about it, but that episode in itself is one of my favorite moments, has some of my favorite moments in all of Star Wars as well. So for me, it's between Twilight of the Apprentice, uh, the finale of Series 2, and uh, Jedi Knight. What about yourself?
0: Do you have any episodes in particular of Rebels that uh, call out to you? I have a very, very specific uh, um, episode of mine. But uh, uh, honorable mention, the finale of Season 1, Yes. Where America, something happened with a we very yeah. Yeah, specific uh, uh, Inquisitor. That was badass. I, I yes. loved it. The action sequence was phenomenally done. But my favorite episode in the entire Rebel show, which involves the Inquisitors, I don't remember the season or the episode name because, guys, I, I need to go back and rewatch the whole series. But, Mike, you will help me here. It has to do with a Sith holocron and the Sith temple and a certain – the Twilight of the Apprentice that's Twilight of the Apprentice right Without, yeah that, that's the series 2 finale yeah, it's, yeah. yeah the series 2 finale is it's okay so we're talking about the same thing sorry I kind yeah. of lost track a little bit there it no, was fine. phenomenal because once again it tapped into everything I loved about Star Wars the Inquisitors as a henchman of the Empire the ancient Indiana Jonesy ancient Egypt kind of like thing with the Sith and, and the whole thing as they did uh, trying to control and, and uh, uh, influence Ezra Bridger and kind of like not understanding exactly where his past may lead. I honestly, after that episode, I thought all the roads are open and Ezra Bridger can potentially become a villain. I honestly yes. did. I'm like, oh my God, where are we going with this? Just, I reveled in the novelty of ideas, how bold their ideas were, those brush strokes they were going with the story there and the part the inquisitors played into it especially side by side with characters like Maul, which made all the sense in the world Mm -hmm.
1: very good points and i will say here this is not spoilery or anything this is just a theory or more something like that from myself and it's no confirmation or anything like that if ezra appears again in live action which i think he well if he appears again which i think he will i would not be surprised if he does become or is a villain quite controversial but i think in the things we've discussed they've laid the groundwork to to some degree but i won't delve into that anymore just for spoiler reasons but i think that could happen i said it to megan she's like they wouldn't do that and i was like oh maybe they will um so we've got four more questions left to go so um let's go back to uh thomas carter rochester and he asks if we get grand admiral thrawn Obviously, um, he was originally in Legends, Ed of the Empire, and then he was introduced in the canon uh, in Rebels, as well as the Thrawn books and etc. Um, and if we get Admiral Thrawn in any shows other than potentially Ahsoka, which show would you want him to be in? Now, I'm going to throw a curveball, which you may have already thought of, so if so, I'm stealing your thunder and I apologise. Bad Batch. Now if he appeared in bad batch he, he made his debut in canon in uh, in rebels so we've got a 3D model of him in the throne books and the comic adaptation of the throne books he is around 16 bby so about 3 years after revenge of the sith about 16 years before a new hope he is that's when he gets in with the empire that's when he's kind of air quotes discovered i i think the bad batch is still only in the first couple years post Order sixty six, so I don't think they would have done it. Maybe, maybe the finale last season of Bad Batch they could have him in it some degree, but I would really be interested to see in a show him kind of in the early days. I know I've got three books about it and stuff like that, but I would like to see like a new story with him in the early days of the Empire. I think that would be very very cool. Uh, what about yourself?
0: I think there's potential, honestly, to tell stories with him in any format. Like, I can't speculate. In regards to Thrawn, you can potentially put him in any of the show and play around with timelines, even in the case with uh, Cassian Andor. Well, Andor's set before Rebels and stuff.
1: It's set, they've announced recently that it's going to be the year, the timeline it's set before Rebels. So, wait, I think it could run really? Conc-
0: Kind of, yeah. Series, so
1: it's basically because
0: Cassian looks a lot young. Uh, he looks about the same age that he does in Rogue One. So this is minor spoilers for Andor,
1: but only of what they've released literally the last right. week. There's no trailer and stuff. It's basically there's going to be two seasons of Andor, right. and each with twelve episodes. The first season is going to be four years before Rogue One, ah. um, which is the first and second season of Rebels, and then season two is going to be um arcs several arcs i think four three or four episode arcs and each arc is going to be another year leading up to rogue one so it takes place at the same time as rebels so i think they're they're doing
0: well then that's yeah then it's ideal then thanks for you know confirming that then it's ideal place to have his story have like an overarching uh connection to what's happening with the rebels but not necessarily tie in with those characters or interact with them in any way you know what i mean you could yeah, show yeah, kind yeah. of like a pockets of story, like this is what the first cells of the rebellion are doing, and this is what where Mom Mathma and her uh, uh, senatorial arena is, where because you know there's empire, but there's still senate there, it's not been disbanded. She's fighting her own battle, and on the flip side, you show a little bit of the empire. I hope we see something from the empire, like a, a little bit of Vader, a little bit of uh, the Emperor, but also his generals. What are they doing to reinforce their grasp on the on the galaxy? But my ideal situation for Throne would be, I want to show that takes place immediately after episode six. And if you have to call this non-canon or if you want to call it legends, whatever that is, my ideal situation would be with Luke, Leia and Han Solo continuing their adventures after episode six and Thrawn being there. I don't care what's the excuse. I don't care what's the preface. We don't know if he's alive or dead. Just like it's our main heroes and it's Thrawn because for me, that's my first love. It's something I can't, you know, completely ignore. I love the new books that Tim Zahn is doing. They're fantastic. I'm on the second book of the first trilogy, It's it's not what I thought it would be. Like I enjoyed the first book a lot more, but I'm still – so soldiering through it. I think it's going to build up to something special. It's too early for me to judge. But either way, I like that. But for me, Thrawn's name is synonymous with Luke, Han, and Leia. They have to be in it. They have to be confronting this kind of intellectual powerhouse. That's what makes him compelling. That's what Thrawn is to me. It's him as an adversary to our favorite heroes. And I don't have more favorite heroes than Han, Luke, and Leia.
1: Amazing. Awesome. So we're getting to the
0: last three questions. And that here. was totally spoiler uh, free.
1: <laughs> as long as I've edited it right. If I've edited it right enough, right. Then it would be spoiler free. Yeah. Um, but we've got so there's a question from um, another question from I am Jack's Musings. Uh, and he asked, why do the stormtroopers wear battle armor if it doesn't protect them from anything? So. I did a bit of research into this, actually. I looked on a Wikipedia, um, which is where I do a lot of my research, and I had to think to myself, and I've got I've got some theories on it and whatnot. But I thought I'd ask you first, Ben, of your thoughts on that comment. So why do they wear battle armor if it doesn't protect them, seemingly? Um, I've got some air quotes, objective answers, but let us know what you think first.
0: Uh, I think it's blood armor. It's basically... Uh... They're bad guys. Thus, they can't hit anything. Let's play. Because look, we all glorify the original trilogy. They're the most amazing films ever. But yeah, our heroes get scathed here and there, but not by stormtroopers. Stormtroopers don't ever do anything, you know. It's the Vader who holds Leia. It's Luke who gets uh, his hem, uh, hand lopped off, but by, by Vader, right? It's Han Solo who is tortured at the hands of Vader. It's always Vader, 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 and Stormtroopers. Like we're here too, by the way. We 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 have guns. We have blasters. We're gonna shoot at things. Like they can't handle anything, man. It's just and it, to me, it was always. I think it's. Uh, ludicrous to go too much into. Because once again, it's that perfect comic book conversation where two fans come in. One is checking out DC. One is checking out his, the latest issue of a Marvel comic. It was like, huh, who do you think is stronger? You know, uh, Batman or Wolverine? I'm like, dude, they're fictional characters. It's, it, when it comes to stormtroopers, <laughs> when it comes to stormtroopers, they never hit anything anywhere. Just when I got my grasp of hope that they would be amount to anything in the first season of The Mandalorian show, when they are going in and they're going through this dark kind of like uh, area, like a hangar bay. What was it? Like a storage facility. And like mm-hmm. they flashlights and they're looking through. Oh, man. Oh, dude. Tactical stormtroopers. And of course, then Jiren comes in and he dismantles every single one of them once again. <laughs> and that scene where I think it was in season two where these two uh, swoop rider uh, uh, stormtroopers are sitting and they actually make fun. How they're trying to hit this animal and neither of them can hit it. I'm like, oh man, it's so in the nose. Why are you reinforcing the idea that they can't do anything? For me, it's strictly plot armor. It's because our heroes need to win the day. Is the reason that Stormtroopers don't hit anything and their armor is shitty. It mm-hmm. needs to be that way. Like it's, there is no explanation to it.
1: So I've got, to counter that to Ben saying there's no explanation, here's my explanation. Um, <laughs> a, so it, The Stormtrooper armor, first of all, it's a white plastoid composite one right. of a black body glove mm. um, which is fun. So basically I've got a few points here that I wrote down. First of all, um, it's con- for control and a lack of individuality. It's for, it's kind of what Ben was saying, it's the Empire wants to remove individuality mm. like they do with the Inquisitors and stuff. They want the people to not feel like individuals, they're just part of the Empire. So that's part of it second of all the helmets make it easier to kill people by not looking them in the eyes we know that that's history that's one of those things if you if your enemy can't look at you in the eyes it's much easier to pull the trigger third of all i think it's also kind of meant to be like blinkers for a horse so when you've got you know the two things on either side of a horse's eyes you can only look what's in front of you not dissimilar to the way mandalorian armor kind of works fourth of all it protects them from shrapnel there's some protection from explosions and it does actually protect them from blasters to a degree mm. it reduces the damage a blaster does it's just that if you get a shot in a major organ or the head it, it doesn't matter what you're wearing but that's kind of with today you can have a really great like in the army you look in world war ii everyone was having helmets but if you get shot in the head you will still die but if it's if it's an indirect shot it can kind of glance you know, off if you him. get yeah, it glances off, or if you've got uh, shrapnel, bits will just fall off your helmet. So that's really it. So, And I just want to read off, there's a little bit, which is a quote from TD7556, um, who's a stormtrooper. I, I believe that's from um, one of the sequel trilogy era books. I think it's when Finn, I think it's before the Awakening when Finn, you get to hear about his training and stuff. So this is just a quote from someone who's a stormtrooper. So we geared up, put on our inefficient, technically archaic, and altogether butt-scratchingly uncomfortable armour, put on our absolute garbage dump helmets that don't let us see a dang thing, and loaded up these E-11s that you've given us, which require one to aim as far as possible away from what one is shooting to have half a chance of hitting it. So thanks for all that. So obviously that's an on-the-nose thing of... And I think they tackle it in Rebels as well when there's when some of the characters like put on stormtrooper helmets and like oh my god i can't see a thing in this how does this work and i think even rex puts on a helmet and he's like this i, I this my clone trooper armor was easier to see than this um so i think it is i think it started off cuz you know obi-wan's first line is these hits are too precise to be jawas it must be stormtroopers and then nothing else in star wars ever validates that line of dialogue like of all the things george lucas messed around with and changed in the original trilogy and adding that horrendous no the end of return of the jedi the only thing he could have changed is that line of dialogue yep. if he changed that one line that's one of the very few things i'd be like you know what george that makes sense you you change what Stormtroopers were. But no, he changes everything else instead. Yeah. Uh, but there you go, Jack. That is the long and the short of it. It's, you know, Stormtroopers also, some people may not know this. I think Jack probably will because he's a pretty uh, well-read individual. But Stormtroopers was actually a special type of, um, I think it was in the World War II, it was the Nazis. They were like a special, like an elite force right. uh, for the Nazis. So the Stormtroopers are actually mm-hmm. furthering in that fascism and Nazi imagery from the original trilogy, which is echoed in the sequel trilogy, Stormtrooper bazaar real-world thing. So, we've got two more questions, and then, Ben, I'll let you go. I have so a nice question off. of my own, if you don't mind. Oh, okay. Well, you can do that, because these two questions are sort of wrapping up questions. So, it depends if you want this to, your question to go at the end,
0: or if you want your question to go it's, now. It's your show. I'm not going to dictate. that <laughs> It depends what the question is. <laughs> it's about the Kenobi show. I think it's a pretty... Save spoiler-free uh,
1: question. Okay, I will say spoiler-free. But anyone who's listening has probably has seen right. Kenobi by now. But anyway, go ahead. So
0: uh, obviously, you've seen the whole show. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm still waiting to do a major podcast. I did one podcast with my boy Josh at Star Wars On High, kind of like summarizing our thoughts on it. But I'm still waiting to have a full podcast that I generally do on Wednesdays with also with Jimmy. Star Wars complete. So the three of us sit down. We kind of have like little mini council, and we talk about things out. So both of them enjoyed the show a lot. Uh, me, I've unfortunately I found a lot more problems with it. But both Josh and Jimmy, especially Josh, who fell in love with it, he said one of the reasons that he loves the show a lot is that it gives new context, a new way of looking at the episode four. And obviously the character they're in, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, every single line of dialogue that he says there, every single interaction, this show only amplifies and enhances his experience of watching the original trilogy and especially in New home. How is it for you, Mike? Did you feel that after the show finished that it added something to Star Wars, that it didn't just exploit something that we knew before was familiar as it's like kind of this play on nostalgia or feelings. And you as a prequel fan, you saw it, It's like, oh my God, this is what I always wanted to see. So what if it's just, you know, like these happy memories of the past and nothing much else to it? Where does the show sit? Is it innovative? Does it add context to the original trilogy? Or did you just enjoy it purely as a spectacle?
1: I think all of the Obi-Wan and Vader stuff, all of that was incredible. I I would argue very fiercely with anyone who mm. says it, it's not I think all the other stuff is the problem mm-hmm. so I'd say I think I think the layer Kenobi stuff is good I think it was too much I think because me me Megan and Chris uh we had obviously I've done the Kenobi discussion shows and things and in the final episode we gave our thoughts on that right and basically the the idea was Chris thought it should have been a movie and Megan thought it was too rushed and not flushed out enough and was too short in some ways and I think it sits it depends on what perspective you have. I personally think it would have benefited from being a movie. I think if they'd have did a two and a half hour movie, like I think you know Moses Ingram did a great job as Reva. I just think Reva wasn't a very good character to begin with. I think she was kind of boring. Mm-hmm. She took away from Kenobi. She was a bit inconsistent. I had no interest in her at all. I don't. I, I you know, this is now a minor spoiler, but if she comes in future content, I will happily read it. If it's a comic book, for TV series, if she's maybe in and or that'd be quite cool. I'm happy to let her character breathe more. Much like with Anakin's character in the prequels, it was quite weak and they kind of developed it more. I'm happy to allow that. But I think her character was the weakest part of the whole show. I think they gave too much screen time to her. I just think she took away from what everyone really wanted. I think the Leia stuff was interesting. I think that's the best way to get Kenobi off off Tatooine. I think it worked very well for the first episode or two. But once you got to episode three and four and she's still in it it's a bit like uh, we we get it he he's come off world she should have just kind of got back home around episode three and then we could hyper focused on um on vader and anakin uh, vader and obi-wan because i just think in episode in the third episode when you've got vader and kenobi fighting and kenobi loses and then you've got it No, this is spoilers uh, but then you've got episode the sixth episode where kenobi absolutely decimates vader as much as I loved the spectacle of that, I did feel like it was a bit quick, and there was something that I posed which annoyed me. With the once again spoiler, uh, I'm going to stop saying spoilers. Just go watch Kenobi, um, which is obviously Qui Gon pops up at the end, and I'm very happy Liam Neeson was in it. But for the amount of dialogue he had, which is one line, I kind of feel like it was a waste. Um, like I was like, oh my god, Qui Gon, was he going to say? And there's like one line. You're like, was that it was like it? You've been talking about Qui Gon this whole series, and you get that. I feel like Obi Wan should have got beaten. They should have four episodes. Okay, first episode relatively the same, but first and second episode kind of merged to one. Second episode could have been the episode where Kenobi and Vader fought and Kenobi lost. Third episode is then when Kenobi has to look in himself. He reconvenes with the Force. He talks to Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon bolsters him up, teaches him something new or helps him get over it. And Qui-Gon says, look, I'm really sorry I forced you to take on Anakin. It wasn't the right thing to do you weren't ready, he wasn't ready, it's my fault, I'm the reason all this happened, you can't hold yourself, if you let yourself, the dark side will win, they will kill Luke, you have to get yourself out of this. If that was Qui-Gon saying that to Obi-Wan, and then Obi-Wan was like, you're right, and then you get a moment almost like Luke had with in uh, Last Jedi, when he connected back to the Force, a subtle thing where he's just deflecting Rey very easily, have something like that, where Kenobi's then with his lightsaber, loads of stormtroopers are shooting at him, and he just deflects everything easily. And you're like, ah, oh, this is the, air quotes, Grandmaster uh, Obi-Wan, this is the badass. Then he fights Vader and destroys him. That would have made more sense. But it just feels like certain parts of the plot are a bit jarring. It's like, oh, he got destroyed by Vader, and then he just suddenly, absolutely destroyed him. And then he just doesn't kill Vader for basically no reason. And it's just little bits where I had a lot of fun watching it. And I think there were some incredible moments. And I do think it really does add to both Episode 3 and Episode 4. It really bridges the gap, which was the mission statement. That's why they made it. Because they want to connect the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan to the Obi-Wan from Revenge of the Sith. I like the idea. I like what they were trying to do. I just think they spent too much time with Reva. There's too much fluff. There's too much. And a few silly moments, like the coat thing. And I'm just a bit like... There are are so many things in that show where if I can correct it in one podcast, then it's clearly something wasn't thought out enough. And that's my problem with it. I still think it's a fantastic show. I still think it's probably some of the best live action stuff we've had. But, you know, it was a prequel in the end of the day. We know what was going to happen to most of the characters, which hurt it a little bit. But I personally think it succeeded for the most part. I think if I rated it out of 10, it'd probably be like a a 7.5 to an eight. I think. Um, I, I did really, really enjoy it and I'm going to go back to watching it but I'm not going to watch the whole series again. I'm I'm just going to watch episodes three and six which is not dissimilar to when I sometimes do normal Star Wars rewatches to be honest.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I said before we would uh, sit down and do reviews for it before I did my individual reviews that I will now no longer just be like you know diplomatic about it and friendly and be like hey guys like look at the bright side. This show would be measured by me by a whole different measuring stick because it's there's so much weight of responsibility of doing it right. And I just felt they completely misfired. They did everything wrong with the show. I I didn't like it and I didn't feel that it connects with episode four or recontextualizes Obi Wan Kenobi. Obi Wan Kenobi in the original trilogy still a very different person he is to me in the prequel trilogy. But in the prequel trilogy, he is the force and the center of attention of his own. In the show, it's honestly it feels like him and the rest of the cast is stuck in this limbo of nostalgia-driven. Hey, let's trace the back steps and like like it, it's it's an exercise of of Star Wars fans growing up. Uh, uh, uh studying cinema and just going and playing in George Lucas' sandbox, but not really understanding what it makes really work for me personally. Hmm. It's just it yeah. it doesn't work because it's it's it plays into I felt like it's completely reliant on the prequel trilogy. And the most of the stuff that I seen, for example, on Twitter that people react to is not based on the strength of the show itself. It's based on people's memories of prequels. And I said it right from the beginning. I said, Jimmy, Josh, look, we're different generations of fans. You obviously revere, like you, Mike, the prequel trilogy a lot more than than I do. I don't need this show to cater to me. I don't need this show to be very special to me. I needed to address things that make it special for you guys. I needed to take care of prequel fans first and foremost. And I didn't feel the show couldn't even do that. Wrong. (laughs) <laughs> every every prequel fan I know loved it. In honesty,
1: they said from the offset, this yeah. is for the prequel fans who've been with us. And, and I, who I think it. my
0: biggest point of criticism that uh, Josh, Josh took very personally. But still, so, you know, us being adults and friends, we kind of can work through this. But I told them, Josh, this is one of the biggest reasons I do have with this show. It is very prequelsy to me, and mm, I don't. Is. And I don't mean the tropes and the stories and the characters. It's the quality of filmmaking, like very prequelsy, very sloppy, all rough around the edges. And, like, and Josh was like, Ben, let me very delicately cut in and, and counter argue. I think it's a question for a full podcast for us, but let's move on with your questions there. But Mike, I think it would be actually a very interesting point for sit down and you as a prequel fan, uh, fan educate Ben on how Kenobi ties in into the original films very well and it does ride yeah. the prequel fans
1: yeah I'd, I'd love to do that come yeah. on your show and talk about it because there's a lot of things to break down yeah. and i do heavily disagree with you yeah. on the cinematography i know that you spoke about it a bit on when you came on for episode five and right. you criticize deborah chow's direction and i would argue that it's the writing not her there's mm. i think all well, the last point i'll just say about this is the way i find it connects to the prequels the most is with the prequels the lore's great and it's got some of the best moments in Star Wars. Right. But it also has some of the worst moments in Star Wars. Right. The original trilogy is this very consistent thing where there's not really any moment in the original trilogy where you're pulled out or you go, that's a bit stupid. There's the Le- Leia-Luke kiss is a bit weird. But aside from that, there's not really anything else. And that's not bad filmmaking. That's just not thinking things right. through right. enough. right. Whereas a prequels, it's like, here's an amazing moment, here's a really stupid moment, here's and that's what Kenobi was like. It's like, here's a moment where Kenobi's hiding a layer in a coat on a hanger, and you're like, what after two episodes after he was the most wanted person in the whole galaxy? And then suddenly it's like, oh yeah. But ignoring that, here's something that's really amazing. There's really
0: cool other parts. So But I'm happy you recognize down. it though. I'm I'm very, very happy that you're able to look at these things critically and not just like ride it all out on based on emotion and saying, like, it was all glorious. Oh, it definitely wasn't all good. It yeah. wasn't even as good as I wanted
1: it to be. Mm-hmm.
0: But for me, I
1: think the net, if you add up all the good bits and all the bad bits, gotcha. and you put it together, you get a net positive for me personally. Uh, but we'll go into that, because there are a lot of things that I do think they didn't do well, to be completely honest with you. Um, but we'll we'll save that. That'll be a tease. I'll come on your show, and we can have a full-on two-hour-long uh, conversation. I'll hold you to flight. it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we've got two more questions uh, left. We've... I'll finish off with Paul De Max one, because I think it's a very good wrap-up one. So the penultimate um, question is from Angry Andy. Uh, who obviously uh, you've been on the show with Angry Andy on the I think the Boba Fett discussion shows and things. Um, so Angry Andy, he's a YouTuber uh, first and foremost. He's on Twitter at Andy underscore review, and he asked the question: Where would you like to see the future of Star Wars go? Back into the past, beyond the High and even the Old Republic, into the far future, like a thousand years ahead, for example or continue to circle the Skywalker saga. Now, I think you and I have spoken about this quite a bit, but if we if we rephrase it a little bit, and if we say we get to choose, um, ignoring everything else that's coming out over the next five years, if we say in 2027, Lucasfilm come to you and me and say, you get to decide what the next Star Wars trilogy is, and it will have a series or two linking in with it, and maybe some books and other stuff, what exactly would you want it to do? Um so I don't know if you've got
0: some thoughts on what you're Definitely would want the to future. Uh, I think yep. I'm I'm looking at it from the perspective of what the fan potentially is looking for and not tread on the ground that is still familiar and people might take issue with, where no matter how much time we move back into, we're still sort of kind of like encroaching and impeding on stuff that is there, especially the old republic. God forbid. Disney does anything in the time or period of uh, the Old Republic, even though it hasn't been officially confirmed as canon, and does something that Revan and Darth Bane, fans of that material, dislike. God forbid. It's going to be gonna Star Wars fandom civil war. Now I think the most sensible way, and even if you move back a lot more in the past, then you kind of have to like re deconstruct the technology to a point where Star Wars becomes unrecognizable. So I think mm-hmm. it's much more because technology regresses and then progresses at the same time. So I think it's much more logical to boost Star Wars far, far into the future, way beyond anything we have seen. Because in the Legends, I think we only go as far as only like 150 years, the the legacy comics. I'm not sure if there's anything past that point. Maybe a little several years uh, after with another Hans and Leia solo descendant. But... Move it so much into the future, let's say 500 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, you could still have visually and technologically recognizable universe. By all means, you could still have your lightsabers. And you could have iterations of the war of the Jedi versus Sith. In a way, think about the Assassin's Creed franchises, right? Uh, Up to a certain point, you obviously had your assassins versus the Templars. But at a certain point, they kind of like... They still use the same major opposing forces element, but now they start calling them different names. So once again, it's a play on the same idea. Why not with Star Wars? Call them the Jedi 2.0 versus bad guys something. But but still, in essence, at heart, still be Star Wars. Mm, yeah. A far, far future, I would say.
1: I think I'm in agreement with you because I, for me being a fan of Star Wars who came with the prequel era and obviously I grew up and then when I fully started to get into uh, the expanded universe of Star Wars, the Disney canon canon came in. That was in the middle of me consuming um, a large amount of Star Wars content. In fact, I remember one specific thing while I was looking up how Sith make their lightsabers and it was like, oh, it's a synthetic crystal and that's how you get red lightsabers. I was like, that's such a cool idea. And I remember literally like a year after that, me looking it up and going... That's not can that, that's we reset the canon, so that's not correct. And I was like, What what's happened? And that's my first when I was like, Oh, Disney reset the canon. That makes sense, I guess. But for me personally, legends is the past. And I like the fact that, yeah, there's a few little bits and pieces, like hand wavy things like, you know, the Sith uh, crystals were synthetic, as opposed to in the canon now, it's you have to bleed a lightsaber crystal, mm-hmm. which I think is thematically brilliant. I think it looks cool in the Rise of Kylo and the Darth Vader comics, but I do find that it doesn't actually make much sense the more you think about it because why would the sith spe- like in the old republic it makes sense but in the in the 900 years where the sith were in hiding why would you purposely make your lightsaber red red it's literally a giant flashlight on you if you just kept it blue then no one would suspect you if you do you know what i mean it doesn't make any sense yeah. the only people but being it synthetic goes oh they can't get a hold of the jedi stuff So for me, that made a lot of sense. But regardless of that opinion, I think for me, legends is the past. I think, and that's the term, legends. That's what I like about it. It's like, yeah, not everything about legends clicks perfectly with the canon, but that's why it's called legends, just like history. You go back to ancient history, you take several accounts of different people around different eras. They all say slightly different things. One of the big things I'd say is the flood. Noah's Ark is probably the most common iteration people know about it. But there was, as science has proven they all or, or but proven uh, there is there was a giant flood that destroyed a lot of life on earth some thousands of years ago and you know, Christians and Catholics believe it was because it was God and Noah's flood, um, the Noah's Ark story. But that's in most major religions reference that flood. Right. And if you look in ancient enough history, there's evidence of some sort of flood occurring and everyone attributes it to different things. And that's kind of how I view legends is like this. These events, these Sith Wars, and these things happened. Yeah, certain bits contradict, but that's because their own people who are saying them that's a contradiction not you'd never know exactly what the true That's a that great happens. outlook.
0: That's a really really good way of looking at it and once again every time like I encounter the 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 canon purists like I I never understand when people like choose one side over the other this kind of like absolutist state of mind dude it's like it's there to enjoy enjoy both of it treat it as yeah. like as something different like you said the past Exactly. The Darth Plagueis
1: book. I absolutely love it. I know you weren't as much of a fan. I love it. And it has a part in Darth Maul that completely contradicts what happens in canon. And I'm fine with that because in my mind, I just go, okay, either these are just two accounts, two fiction stories, whatever, or in my mind, I just go, well, if, I, if Plagueis said in Plagueis, Palpatine picked up Maul when he was a baby, if you just jump that forward by, if you make Maul older and you make him pick him up when he was 10... Everything else makes sense. So that's how I do it, in my mind. Where yeah. Even when there's canon contradictions, I just tweak... little yeah. bits. Oh. Yeah, but it's no essential. But for me, I'd want to go further in the future as well, like you. I think you and I have discussed it on uh, the shows we've done together, which not everyone who's listening to this has heard before. So it's a good advert for it. Mm. Um, and I'll put, obviously, links in the description. But I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I want it to go basically 500 years, 1,000 years. However, I want to go really far in the future that the Skywalker saga becomes a legend. Yeah, not just in, you know, uh, in Last Jedi where Luke says, you know, that I became a legend. It's like, yeah, you did, but that's over like 30 years. That's like a that's a, that's a that is a bit of a legend, but that's not like Kengis Khan, is it? We hear the stories of Kengis Khan, we hear, or even you go back further than that and you you go back to like ancient Chinese dynasties and you go back even further than that and you've got like these ancient civilizations and the Mayans and the Aztecs and all these people and it's so intriguing hearing yeah. about their history. They are legends. You know, you've got people in modern pop culture like Elvis Presley. He was a legend, but he was alive in the last century. So the level of what that legend could be, yeah, is not the same. Alexander the Great, he's not the same kind of legend as Elvis Presley. Do do you know what I mean? That's the comparison. I want to go so far ahead that the only time we get legacy characters pop up is a little nod. Maybe you've got the new Jedi Order that is as big, if not bigger than it was in the prequel era. And yeah, you get some sort of dark... So, users of some sort who splinter off or whatever, but maybe there's just a holocron that they open up and they go, "This is the oldest holocron we've got." And you open up, and it's Mark Hamill, the age of whatever, giving stories to Padawans, and that's it. You don't get Mark coming into it or Ray does it or something. You know, you've got Daisy Ridley when she's older. She is that, she, and you just get a holocron, at maybe the start of the movie, and then a different holocron yeah. at the end, and that's it she doesn't impact the story she's just there for flavor she that's what i want legacy characters and then maybe they could slowly work their way back through comics and novels so you get a bit more information on how she built the jedi order whatever that's what i want i want completely new characters make it bigger jumps there's not bloody x-wings and tie fighters and the empire fuck all that off jump forward Really far, so you're not constrained by anything from the past. Right. I want new good stories. And that's the biggest problem with the Star Wars at the moment with Star Wars at the moment, especially the live action series, where they're all based. The Andor series is gonna be fun, but Andor we know dies in Rogue One. So immediately all the characters he interacts with, if they're not in Rogue One, we know they're going to probably die. Apart from three of them that will probably pop up in the Mandoverse. And in the Mandalorian series. All of those things, Mando, Book of Fett, the Ahsoka series coming out, and everything else that's going to intertwine with that. Well, we know half of those characters are not about. And in The Rise of Skywalker, there's literally voices of dead Jedi. So we know certain characters yeah. almost definitely can't live past a certain point. It
0: lacks a spirit of innovation where where Star Wars needs to not follow trends anymore. Josh brought an excellent uh, point of, uh, when the prequels were coming out that he said, look, when the prequels are out there, Star Wars was no longer the biggest thing on the street. It had a lot of things to compete with. Spider-Man, Lord of the Rings, so many amazing movies that came out. So in a, in a way, and also with the sequels as well, when they were coming out, kids were already spoiled with the whole you know, Marvel, and DC Age of Comic uh, to screen adaptations. Mm-hmm. But it, it got lost. It got diluted. It got lost in translation. It didn't have the same sense of impact. So I think one of the roads to success – it's to completely reinvigorate the formula, be daring, be bold again, and say, you know what, let's start from complete scratch and recognize the most iconic, important things that people gravitate to a personal journey, a person conquering his inner demons, prevailing over darkness, you know, in light of insurmountable odds, achieving victory, those sort of things.
1: I completely agree. Uh it's it's one of those things where well with the toxic elements of the fandom, they I think a lot of that would go not all of it, but I think a lot of it would go away if they stopped touching characters people are so emotional about. Yeah. You know, a lot of the Kenobi series are great, but the fact that people hated Reaver so much and were so mean to Moses Ingram, which I obviously am completely against and I know you even put a whole video out about that and it's just like it's not the actress's fault. And even if it was, you can't be that horrible to someone, it's a horrible thing to do. But People probably wouldn't have been like that if she wasn't in a Kenobi series. If they released a series just called Inquisitors, she would just and be Evil forgettable. Was the main character, yeah. They go, ah, it's a bit crap. I don't want. But because she was taking up, in their view, screen time over Kenobi, that's when they got toxic. And when you have things like with Last Jedi, when everyone was horrible to, um, uh Kelly Marie uh, Kelly Marie Tran who played yeah. Rose, which is she, I think she did a great job in Last Jedi. Yeah. But because she's on screen with legacy characters as well as these new characters any minor problems with her they amplify to the 18th degree and you nailed it. they just and that's the problem whereas if they start if they go look we're a thousand years
0: ahead no one's even alive so you can't complain then remove the- any points of reference any nods yeah. to the past anything you could bitch and moan about it was just like it, it was like visions i didn't hear any mm-hmm. extremely negative things like oh whatever forgettable i didn't care for it that's it it ends exactly. there and that's the problem going back as well, is they're inevitably going to redo the
1: stories of Revan and Bane and all that sort of stuff yeah. in some ways. I don't know if I'd rather in a series or movies. Probably a trilogy of movies, I think, would be good. Like, this us call it the Sith Wars, and then have three movies. But I think the problem is that as soon as you do that, all the Legends fans are going to come out and go, Disney are ruining Legends. But if you do... That's why the High Republic, when it started, you got a few people who are saying it's too PC and too this and too that. But they all got quieted by the sheer amount of support for the High Republic yeah. and then by the time the second and third books came out I didn't hear anyone still bitching about the High Republic because everyone who hated it just stopped reading it yeah. they read the first book said it was all woke nonsense everyone was like okay well you're clearly not reading the same books I'm reading yeah. fuck off yeah. and then all the other Star Wars fans, then just who are toxic, just then hyper focused on all the other existing content. So I think it would cure a lot of the things. Whereas the problem is with people with some of the things Kathleen Kennedy has said and some of the other stuff at Lucasfilm is like, oh, we can't take risks, so we have to stick to Skywalker saga things. It's like, no, you're, you're learning the wrong lessons from your failures. You think Solo failed because it was about Solo. No, Solo failed because you released it six months after the most divisive Star Wars movie of all time, with almost no marketing around it, when everyone had fatigue, when Infinity War came out, which, as a massive Star Wars fan with Star Wars tattooed on my skin, Infinity War is better than any of the sequel movies. It, it was one of the best movies I've ever seen. It's for what it did, top tier. It has less flaws in it than any of the sequel movies. That that's just one of those things and it's just that you can't you're picking up the wrong lessons um but we have to end this at some point so final question from paul de uh, so at paul da on twitter he is the host of era of geek and obviously you had the pleasure of speaking with him mm-hmm. and so have i so you can check out our episodes i'll make sure i include links in the description to those as well as this is the question i want to finish on and um, we've been talking for over two and a half hours now recorded. About three hours <laughs> not recorded. Because <laughs> uh, we were chatting for like half an hour beforehand. But Paul has asked, what has been the most surprising thing you've learned in all the time that you've both been Star Wars podcasting? So Star Wars content creators. So since we've you have started your channel and since I started Star Wars Comics and Canon, what's the most surprising thing you've learned? And that can be a bit of trivia. That could be just a subjective thing like however you want to answer that question
0: you can answer it you can go first or you can let me go first your choice that is a such a loaded question what is the most surprising thing i'm definitely have to like pass it over to you because you probably meditated on this a little bit i'm gonna have to gather my (laughs) thoughts here i did think about sending you the questions beforehand but i thought "Eh, no 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 no. it makes it a lot more interesting this way it's a lot more (laughs) exciting more like you just hit me with the questions and i go with it without thinking too much but i have to think on this one
1: I think for me, uh, the most surprising thing I've learned—it's um, kind of two-pronged—in universe and out of universe. So, out of universe is that the connectivity I've had with so many other styles of podcasts. Obviously, with Ben, me and Ben are good friends now. We literally use podcasts as an excuse just to chat, um, and I found that there is a lot less toxic star wars than people actually think you know you go on social media you see a lot of it but in reality the majority of star wars fans are actually star wars fans or they just don't really care enough to make a big fuss about it like most of my mates watch the star wars movies i had a mate of mine contact me the other day and they're like oh by the way finally watched rise of skywalker and i was like that came like two and a, like two and a half one and a half years ago or whatever and He was like yeah i just didn't get around to it it was pretty good was like, fair enough my friend fair enough but in Universal stuff, I think one of the things I found the most surprising, um, which I don't think I would have done if I hadn't had the Star Wars podcast, is the more content you consume from Star Wars, the better it gets. Now, I would argue that there's almost no books and almost no comics that are actually bad. They're, they're the most Normally, the worst one you consume and you really go, yeah, that was all right. There's a few comics I've read, mainly one-shots, and I go, that was okay. But when you read a crap comic, or even an okay comic, you only spend 10-15 minutes reading it, so it's not a big deal. If you read something that's not that big, not that amazing, right. but you still get a connection to the lore. Even the most boring comics I've read, you still get something into the lore of Star Wars. You still get something added into that. And one thing I found was with delving into Legends, which aside from the video games I hadn't done, really, I was like, what? my kind of mindset before speaking with um, mainly yourself, Ben, I was like, Disney are eventually going to recanonize everything. They're going to retell the stories of the Old Republic. They're going to do this, going to do that, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, there's so much content at the moment. Why would I spend time reading things that aren't canon if I, could, if I can just read the canon? And as I've kind of already answered my own question and my own thoughts in this conversation, one of the previous things, is that they can run concurrently. They can run together there are certain Legend stories that are never going to get retold. Or if they are, they're not going to get retold yeah. in the same way. And there's certain moments that happen in it. And Styles, for me, a lot of it is about moments, which is why I like the prequels more than the sequels, because yeah. I think there are more moments in the prequels that are like, oh my God! Mm-hmm. Where in the sequels, there's like five, and none of them are in The Rise of Skywalker, if I'm completely mm-hmm. honest with you, apart from maybe the Leia dying bit. But mm-hmm. So I think that it shows that any level of Content consumption you have for Star Wars, you can still have a really fruitful conversation with Star Wars, and I just encourage more people to just read Legends, read Canon, just read stuff. If you want to hear some really cool Sith stories, Legends is exactly what you want to read. Yeah. But if you want to read stories that make the characters in the main nine movies more interesting, and it fits perfectly within those nine movies the current canon is probably better Mm -hmm. because the canon specifically is made. Some of the canon stories, you read them and you go, this didn't add much, but it hyper-focused on one character, and that's one of the problems with it, but that's also one of the better parts. If if you're a massive stan or a simp for Poe Dameron, you're going to love the new canon because there's a whole comic series on him, there's a book or two, um... you know, there's loads of stuff. But me, I I like Poe. I've read all the comics, but I'm like, I'd rather hear a cool story about Sith alchemy and the Sith and the Force and all that stuff. And I think that Legends is a lot more experimental, and I think that Canon isn't. So that's the kind of thing I've learned: is just whatever you your preconceptions are of things, just give it a try, give it a
0: go. Uh, what about you, Ben? So for me, as far as like opinions and interacting with the franchises, how diverse range of opinions we have all about this. Never surprised me because, hello, this is humanity. This is us people. We're individuals. That's how it's going to be. But I had these three key moments I wanted to kind of like focus on that really were huge, kind of interesting excavation and kind of like a find for me. Like my Indiana Jones was like, ooh, okay, this is amazing. So when I came here to the US, right, I was 14 years old. Obviously, watching Star Wars in English was a whole rediscovery because you get proper names. Oh, there were Clone Wars? What the hell are Clone Wars? Okay, (laughs) you learn things, right? When I discovered that there were radio dramas... Alongside the movies, which obviously came out years after, but you saw the movie, now you can go listen to a radio drama. How many cool scenes and moments that were there that didn't make it into the final cut of the movies, but you could actually enjoy them as complete, wholesome, beautifully told stories as a radio drama. And one of the things that just blew my mind, and it was after I listened to all three of the audio books, and then the Rebel Show comes out, and then somebody somewhere on Facebook mentions, "Oh, that's that's not a new invention. That's not Disney." I'm like. Huh? And I went back and I listened to the original radio drama and that right there Inquisitors show up in A New Hope in 98. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. It was just such a cool moment uh, that I was really, really enjoyed. The second one is, I don't remember if I showed you this painting or not in one of my podcasts. Perhaps I did because you and I, we have talked about uh, prequels extensively, is Brian Ashmore's painting of Anakin Skywalker and the nameless Skywalker mother cradling a baby. Have I showed it to you or not? I, yeah, I think it was quite early on when I conversation. Right. It, it, so I'll send you a picture after this conversation just to remind you. So it's basically a picture that was commissioned by this artist officially for Lucas Topps cards in 1993 with different illustrations. And the word goes from the painter himself that George Lucas would, would look through the artworks and say which ones he liked. And he specifically set this artwork aside, and they didn't use it, not because it wasn't good, it was an amazing piece of art, but because George Lucas said, well, hold on a second, let's hold off on the twin's mother, because I'm intending to do something with her. Remember, this is two years before George Lucas even announced the prequels. When I saw that painting of of young, nameless mother who doesn't die from sadness in childbirth, because Leia remembers her, because this is what Star Wars I grew up with, my little world, Um, and this Anakin character standing behind her with the shadow of Vader behind him. There's so much storytelling and content that just went right to the heart of my childhood when I was a kid in Russia living with these three Star Wars films dreaming of a day that there might be possibly another one we even had a rumor in the street there's 22 star wars movies and we russians only got three of them i don't know why 22 it's a really odd number but in my hometown was specifically 22 movies that were made and we only got three of them i'm like oh man where's the rest of the story (laughs) and the one that the biggest discovery and the biggest surprise and why I am still as much passionate of a Star Wars fan as I always was my entire life. Uh, when Disney got the rights to do Star Wars, right, that George Lucas sold it, and they announced that all of the expanded universe books will be now legends, right? We're starting from scratch here. I was one of maybe of very few people who was actually excited for it. I said, okay, obviously they're not going to use all of this real estate space of storytelling that other writers have populated for 40-plus years, A, it's disrespectful to go and meddle in the stuff that they have done, and B, no new company would go into this new business model thinking they'd just continue on what was done. It's, it's just inconceivable. Of course, they're going to start from scratch. It makes all the sense in the world because you want to attract a new audience. I said, all right, let me be optimistic about it. Let me give it a shot. And the book started coming out, Lost Stars, Master of Apprentice, and I'm really enjoying it. Oh, man, they're killing it. Book after book, consecutively, they're giving us the good stuff. And then here comes the High Republic. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, boy. All right. It seems like it's, they're putting a lot of stakes into it. It's a whole publishing initiative that we've seen in Star Wars Legends before with the New Jedi Order 19 book series, which in terms of scope and quality of writing and characters has yet to be topped in Star Wars. And they announced this new thing, and I'm thinking, okay, Ben, just just go in and, and just enjoy it. See what, what it is. Like, completely fresh mind. And we see the first artwork, right? And this art deco-styled pieces. I'm like, oh, dude. Dude, I'm vibing with this. This kind of looks cool. <laughs> I secretly, like, I want it to be good. I don't want to hype myself up, but I want it to be good. Is it going to be good? And When I started reading The Light of the Jedi, I was blown away. And not just by the quality of the story i don't want to be like the, just the shill like who's like oh go read this book you know what blew me away and still blows me away by the high republic the jedi they portray in that series is exactly how i felt about the jedi when i was a kid in russia when you don't have any lore you don't have any stories you didn't know the books existed there was like thrown and stuff like this It's just three movies And, of course, when you absorb that material for 15-odd years before you get the next trilogy, you fulfill this fantasy. It becomes a world of its own for you personally. And the Jedi are very specific character types. If George Lucas wants to rewrite them and make them into the galaxy, space, police force, that's your business. I have a different interpretation of it. And it's not to say that George's vision didn't have the right to exist. That's what he wanted to do. But I have my version of the Jedi. And when I was reading The High Republic, I'm like, I'm a six-year-old again. The story, the quality of prose and the the stylistic choice is like very art deco, very fantasy-like, very grandiose. And the way that they portray the Jedi, these noble guardians of peace, I was completely blown away. It was such a great and sweet discovery for me that Star Wars still has the power to to go into these unexplored avenues and tap into something that's so essential as Star Wars. I'm like, you know what? No matter how dark is the day, no matter if the Kenobi show clouds gather on top of me and the pours and rains Kenobis and the Book of Boba Fett, I'm still going to have my High Republic. And it's like, that gives me hope for the future project. Even with Cassian Andor, I'm not going to be beholden to the fact that we know that everybody dies, like you said. I'm hopeful. And the reason for that is the High Republic.
1: That's beautiful. And I agree with everything you said there. The High Republic is some of the best Star Wars content. I think exists, period. It is. But I've not read as much Legends as you have. But when I've been reading Plagueis and the Darth Bane books, which I think are fucking phenomenal. Yeah. I still, I think the High Republic is for the most part as good as that you know there's, there's currently uh nine main high republic books out you know a junior a young adult and a main adult for each wave within the phase um and yeah i'm i'm very excited for the next phase and you know the high republic really helped reinvigorate my love of star wars and what you said about the recant the canon being reset th- most people my age and uh, people like a lot of people on rupalp's pod race which obviously i spoke with claudia on that um quite recently and things they have read a bit of legends but like myself they by the time they're at the age where you can actually afford to buy your own books where you can really choose your own time wisely when you're an adult with a job and things and you can actually choose to spend all this time reading and stuff and you know you you would prioritize the canon over the legends because you go well this is all connects with everything i know why would i choose legends over canon and then when they started getting into the canon more they go oh this little bit is a nod to Legends. Let me go read this one Legends book, like I've been doing. I want to read lots of... You know, High Republic is my top priority. But second to that is getting my Legends knowledge up. And I think the canon reset really helped that. Because if they didn't reset the canon, and they just released the movies, it would have been, A, a mess. And B, I wouldn't have any idea where to start. And at least with the newer generation who are getting to start, like, right, where do you start? Well, you watch the movies. Okay, then what? Then you watch the series. Okay, then what? Well, you can play games if you're the video game type, um, which are really good, but then you've got a choice. You can read The High Republic, which is its own complete thing, and they're all brilliant. You can read stuff that bolsters up the nine movies and all connects, and apart from very minor details, doesn't contradict itself. Or you can go to the Wild Wild West. You go to Legends where it's completely free game. You choose a book at random, it could be not that great, or it could be phenomenal. But it's different, and people could do their own thing with Star Wars. Legend is their own interpretation of Star Wars. High Republic is what I think a lot of people's interpretations of Star Wars was after the original trilogy. And then the canon, excluding High Republic, is to try and help bolster up the movies. So yeah, very well put, um, Ben. Very much uh, well put indeed. So, we have been chatting, my friend, for two hours and 45 minutes on recording is the longest podcast I think I've done so far and who better to do it with. So to finish it all off before we get to the three hour mark, (sighs) please tell people, I'll put links in the description, tell people where they can find you and your final things before we finish this.
0: Guys, I'm Ben from Star Wars Timeline on YouTube Check out the video lures. Check out the book reviews that I do, show reviews. And don't take everything that I say close to heart because, after all, you're still going to make up your own opinion about something, right? If you want to have a good conversation at Discord about Star Wars, where nobody's going to prosecute you for what you think, Star Wars timeline on Facebook, the Facebook group, that's what we're talking about. Where everybody can come in and have an opinion about something without being toxic. Um, And the last thing I want to say, guys, Mike has specifically promised to me to ship out that Shadows of the Empire toy that he just (laughs) flashed because he knows that my birthday is in, in five days and that I have endured after a despicable, disgusting, horrific sunburn that I got. I spent two plus hours with this gentleman on his podcast and he said, Ben, what is the better way of rewarding you? than than parting with my favorite toy. (laughs) That would be the day, right? If I
1: had two of them, you would be the next person on the list. That would be the day. Alas my good friend. Uh, We're we're friends,
0: but we're just we're not that close, guys. We're not ready to jump in the same bed. (laughs) We're not ready to share Star Wars toys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. You're always the voice of reason. You're always a person I can depend on going into and who has an alternative opinion than mine, but has like such a well reasoned and well put arguments behind it that I say, huh, I disagree with this guy, but damn, he has a point. That's what I enjoy most (laughs) of our conversations. Like, you, you always have thoughts that I appreciate. Thank you. And
1: that's one of the reasons I, um, I've i been on your show so many times and I'll continue to for the future because, yeah, as you said eloquently, we're from different generations of Star Wars. We love different things about Star Wars. But at the core, we are Star Wars fans. And we just want to talk about Star Wars. And yeah, we don't agree on everything, especially the live action series. I'm a lot more forgiving right. and you're more critical. But that doesn't mean either us are right or wrong. And Really, people, go check out Star Wars Timeline, even if you just start off with all the conversations I've had. Um, in fact, on my own channel, on Genuine Chit Chat, where people may have been watching the video version of this, I've got a playlist which is Star Wars Timeline guesting, and it's just all the videos that either Ben's been on my show, or I've been on his, and if that it, that's probably a good place to start if you want to get into Star Wars Timeline. And Ben is one of the... I probably contribute 85% of the reason I've read Legends is because of Ben, so... You That's know, the to you, to, sir. You are the Legends Master. I am I, I know more about canon than you do, yeah. but you def- you know a lot more about Legends, and there's 40 years of Legends, and only like, <laughs> less, less than 8 years of canon, so <laughs> the knowledge shows. But thank you so much, Ben. It's genuinely been an absolute delight having you on the show. As it's always, a great delight talking with you. I encourage all my listeners to go check out Star Wars Timeline, and uh, we'll do another chat very soon, probably about Kenobi and lots of other things. So just thank you, sir. Take care, guys. and so ends the 100th episode of star wars comics in canon thank you so much for listening as always my friends make sure you check out ben's youtube channel star wars timeline link in the description to a playlist i made of all of our collaborations so if you want a good jumping off point for ben's show please consider checking those out and in addition to that if you've not listened to other episodes of star wars comics in canon i would hugely recommend it not just because i create it all uh, but because i do spoiler free book reviews on there so you never have to read a star wars book to enjoy any of those but also with the comic episodes which the sort of main focal point of the podcast. I have specifically made it so you never have to have read a single Star Wars comic or book in your entire life. As long as you've seen the majority of the Star Wars movies, you will still enjoy this podcast. I specifically talk about the plot details so you don't have to have picked up the comic. I go through trivia and talk about characters that are reoccurring, legends origin stories as well as planets and species and other interesting information that i find along the way so it's a real good way to increase your knowledge of the star wars canon without having to spend a penny while also not having to consume any other content that has been the goal from the start so yourselves can enjoy it that way if you want a place to start obviously you can start in episode one which is kind of where i was getting my footing and things uh, around episode sort of 7a ish is where i kind of found my stride a little bit more but if you want to hyper focus on something in particular there are loads of playlists on my youtube channel where's a really good starting off point if you just want to hear every darth vader story and where dr afra came from or you just want to hear bio information all kinds of things please go over and check out those playlists and in addition to that i also do book reviews on there spoiler free ones so there's loads and loads of pieces of content that you can check out and you never have to have picked up any additional star wars content In addition to that, obviously check out my show Genuine Chips Chat if you haven't already. I talk to a different guest in every episode. As I said, I think in the intro, I've spoken to Cavan Scott and Claudia Gray and lots of other people to do with Star Wars or people who are intrigued by Star Wars. Most of them have got video versions of them, so you can check out my lovely face uh, while I'm talking to my amazing guests. Uh, All the Star Wars episodes are on there as well. So lots of reasons to go check out my YouTube channel and lots of reasons to check out my vast array of other content because it's not all Star Wars related, uh, which you may be surprised by if you've not tuned in before. But yeah, most of it is not actually Star Wars related on Genuine Chit Chat. I talk to a wide variety of guests and there's just loads of places to start. And I also have those in playlists too. I've got religion and spirituality. I've got just more funnier ones. I've got ones with other podcasters if you're looking to find more podcasts as well. Loads of places to start. I've tried to make it as easy as possible for any listeners. And I appreciate you all listening, especially any of the newbies who have tuned in for the 100th episode. So hello there. And then what else have we got coming up? Well, for the coming weeks I've still got the episode with Mary Kenny that is going to be released very soon. Uh, I've got a few other recordings due over the coming weeks too, and for Star Wars Comics and Canon I think the next episode I'm going to do is going to be the finale of the Poe Dameron comics, that's volume 5, and that gives some quite interesting information on some of the maybe plot holes of the sequel trilogy that kind of gets filled in by Poe, like how did he survive the crash on Jakku in The Force Awakens? Lots of little bits and pieces like that. So that looks going to be the next episode then I think after that I'm probably going to tackle the next batch of Crimson Rain comics so that's probably where I'm going to start I've got a few ideas of where I can go there are a few other comics out now there's some IDW comics the Return to Vader's Castle run that I want to do as well and obviously I am reading Midnight Horizon at the moment so I'll be doing a book review of that too so make sure you subscribe to Comics in Motion to hear my show and loads of other amazing shows on the podcast app of your choice make sure you subscribe to Genuine Chit Chat as well because loads of interesting conversations you may not be intrigued by every single one of them but they're so different most weeks that there's bound to be something that you do enjoy or just go through the back catalogue, you'll find something. And in addition to that, please subscribe to me on YouTube so you get video versions of a lot of my conversations as well as all my Styles, Comics and Canon episodes and all my Genuine Chit Chat episodes, certain guest spots that I do in there as well as loads of things in playlists. So lots of places to get hold of me as well as following me at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter and on Facebook where I release snippets of my conversations on Genuine Chit Chat. I release information about the comics that I cover on the show as well as other bits and pieces i'm up to and myself and megan will be getting a puppy soon so there will be puppy videos and photos on there too no doubt so the last thing to say my friends is please rate review and share with your friends you can rate on spotify you can review on good pods or apple podcasts and you can share on social media or you can just talk to people you know about it you don't have to make a big hoo-ha about it on social media or you may not even have social media please just share this with as many people as you can it really really helps the show grow and it means the absolute world to me that so many of you listen to both of my shows and that it's growing more and more every day so just a massive thank you once again doing the hundredth episode of styles comics and canon wouldn't be possible without you lovely listeners and especially a big shout out to my patreons who make this even more easy for myself to do so thank you so much all of you i appreciate you all and i'll speak to you next week on potentially comics and motion or on genuine chit chat depending on where you tune in or on the youtube channel you'll get both but just thank you from the bottom of my heart and as always may the force be with you
0: you have just experienced host creator Everything else are genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.
1: The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org.